So they're showing APG on PTUK. Is that what they're? Hey, everybody. Hey, if you're if you're watching, I'm Captain Jeff from the Airline Pilot Guy Show, which is a superior podcast to this whatever you're watching right now, which is just yeah, disgusting stop, and pitiful. Stop watching that awful yeah, show. Don't look. You're wasting your time. Don't you have something better to do on a Friday than to watch yeah, this show? Exactly right. Sad people. Friday Very night. Sad. Pathetic. Just finish work. Absolutely pathetic. You know, just have. And you're watching that show. You should, you should be over the, You should be having a pint. Yeah. You should be down have a pint. The pub, having a pint and a pie. Uh, and there you are, sitting at home, sadly sipping a glass of wine and watching PTUK. Watching That's YouTube. Dreadful. I mean, how, what a waste of time. <laughs> waste Go of get time. Some good, Indian, good Indian food, a Thai food over there in yeah. England. I mean, get really, out of the world. Just, get out. See the world. Enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. Just get on right Go fly somewhere. Have a good day. Yeah. Click on the button. <laughs> get, get out of here. And see ya. You're listening to the Plane Talking UK podcast, the UK-based podcast written by a passenger for anyone. And here are your hosts, Carlos Stevings, Matt Smith, and Neville Bounds. Well, hello and welcome to episode number 184 of the Plane Talking UK podcast. I'm Carl Stevings, and joining me this week in the kitchen studio, as always, is my co-host, Matt Smith. Hello, everyone. Hello. Good evening. Good evening. Good evening. How are you, yeah. Matt? Yes, not too bad. Not too bad mm. at all. It's been, a, it's been a busy week in the world of it's Matt. It's been a busy week. Yeah, it has it's been, been a, a busy night busy for these people in the chat room. They've, been, they've just sat through a, a three and a half Three and a half hour, hour spectacular. Yes, absolutely. Oh, yes. It's like the Christmas special all over again. Indeed. So we'll sh we shall try to keep ours um, efficiently Within um, four punctual hours. and under four hours, yes. <laughs> That's the only thing I can promise at this stage, is it'll be under four hours. Uh, so our <laughs> other, other co-host of the show, yes. Neville Bounds. Yes. Sir Neville Bounds, he now, is unfortunately see, unable to be Yes, now see, I have a theory about this, because he claims that he's gone to some AV awards. I think he's officially picking up his knighthood. That's I what I reckon. I think he's is. actually at the palace re receiving uh, exactly He's that. probably been flown there by BA in, in first class, <laughs> obviously. Right, okay, yeah. Amina's asking, what are you drinking, Carlos? Oh, this is orange squash. Yeah. It's nothing It's nothing <laughs> amazing. No, I know. No. But it is, if it helps, it's in a Doom Bar um, Yeah, it's in a Doom Bar glass. So, yeah, so Neville can't be, can't be with us, so he nope. does apologise for not being able to be mm. with us. But like, we, uh, like Matt said, he's at an AV Awards, yes. audiovisual yes, awards ceremony somewhere. Yes, he's yes. picking up many, many gongs, I have no yes. doubt. Yes, yes. Yeah, indeed. But we do have a special guest joining us on the show tonight. He's uh, an avid aviation photographer. He's also a listener of the show. Ooh. Can't see why. Really? I don't know why he does that. <laughs> I know. We all have our cross to bear. I know. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to welcome onto the show his first uh, first ever appearance on the show, then a live show, and Mark Harvey. Hello, Mark. Hello, and thank you for the invite. A pleasure. That's a pleasure. pleasure. Uh, of course, you, uh, a few weeks back, we actually played out something that you sent us, didn't we? I think it was, was it at... Um, yeah, your feedback um, you sent us. Uh, uh, RF Norton. That's yes, it, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that was really, really... We thoroughly enjoyed that, and so yeah. did the listeners, Mark, so well we, done. Yeah, we were both officially redundant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I hardly think so. <laughs> <laughs> I know, it's good. He's even asked the right question at the yeah. end there. It's like, oh, if no, you could fly anything you wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I was like, we're going to have to change that question. It's no no. <laughs> we're too predictable. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so, uh, so whereabouts in the in the wonderful world are you then, Mark? I'm in the sunny southwest, uh, down in Cornwall. 
Lovely part in the UK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lovely part of the country. It is, it? What's the weather been like down there? Because it's not been great up here, I have to be honest. Uh, it was a bit grey to start with, but it, the sun uh, poked through and it's uh, not too bad now. And I'm hoping it's going to stay like that for the weekend. Mm, yes, I did hear rumours that, that, that uh, the UK's going to have a bit of a rough weekend, I think, weather-wise. Yeah. Certainly come Sunday. Yes. Uh, indeed. Yes. Ta- tail end of, uh, of, of a certain hurricane. something yeah. or other. Yeah. Bob or something. Yeah. Hurricane, was it? No, uh, no, what Jim, is it? Um, um, oh, it's Hurricane Maria, isn't oh, it? Oh, Maria. Yeah, that's okay. it. Okay, yeah. I knew it was something like that. Was like, one of my friends is actually a weather um, weather reporter, and he, he started his late-night bulletin with one of the most... Um, abysmal jokes I've ever heard in my entire life was it's just like and what do you do when you've got something a hurricane something about Maria I was just like oh that's it I, you're no longer my friend <laughs> they're going to get to the end of the alphabet and yeah well this is it yeah, mystery, especially this year absolutely hurricane xylophone right okay. yeah, oh, yeah I think it's idea. usually ladies names if I'm honest oh okay yeah <laughs> So, so Mark, he's got you, me joking there somewhere. You, uh, you, we're going to have a chat with you later. You do a bit of, uh, of photography of the aviation persuasion, don't you? I do. I, I try and uh, get a few shots. I try and do a few uh, air shows each year. This year has been a bit, uh, a bit sparse. Yeah, but, uh, I've got plenty of back catalogue to get through yet. Awesome. We'll have a chat with you about that later, won't we? Yeah, see we where, will. see absolutely. what air shows you've attended this year. Yeah, that'd be absolutely. nice, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, there was, well, there was definitely one at Bryce Norton. I know that. There was definitely yeah. one there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, well, I want to go there. Yeah. Absolutely. So uh, we've got loads of people in the chat room as always joining us this evening, which is awesome because they have been, like I said, listening mm. to APG for they ages, have, yes. and hopefully you'll all stick with us uh, for the show. We've got uh, Myla, Liz Piper, Jonathan Warner is in the chat. Yeah. Room. Uh, we've got Philip Davis and. We've We've got uh, Shorty Cosgrove. Uh, uh, more Mark Harvey's in the chat room. Yes. Uh, who? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Lane Street. Uh, Richard King. Jeff Braithwaite. Um, oh, Nick Anderson's in the chat room as well. At the oh, moment, no. So we better be on <laughs> yeah. our best behaviour. Yeah. He, he does need to lie down, bless him. He's, he's, he's on, on a full marathon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly, yeah. But yeah. I, he, he'll probably be asleep by the yeah, end of the I, show. I dare say, yes. So thanks to everyone for joining us this evening. We've got uh, loads of news and stuff to get through. Uh, yeah. We've also got uh, a great segment coming up from Pilot Pip, who sent uh, a really, really good segment in for us uh, to play on the show later yeah. on, which is all about uh, flying in Russia. Yeah, so it's all about fly- and of course it's his last and it's his flight. last yeah. flight um, in, on the Hawker. Yeah, um, yeah he's, very he's sad. quite very upset sad. about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and we also do have a segment as well this week from uh, Nev. Yes. Uh, even though he's not here, yeah. he sent us a great little segment. That's because he's very efficient, you see, and he does like you know segments months and months in <coughs> advance. You see, he's good. Yeah, it. that's with uh, Michelle Robson. So uh, yeah. stay tuned for that. That's coming mm-hmm. up towards the, uh, the yeah. end of the show. Yeah, she was on. She was the one that turning left for less, wasn't yes. she? She's, yeah, she's yeah. the one who does that podcast. Yeah. But uh, at the same time, he took full advantage and also did a Nev's passenger experience with her <laughs> while he had uh, while he had uh, had he's, hold, as it were. He's good. So, yeah, tell absolutely. You. Very efficient. Better oh, yeah. than the rest of us, eh? That's why, <laughs> that's why we pay him the millions. Yes, absolutely. He's worth every cent. I know. Yeah, I know. Absolutely. Literally so, cent. Yeah. Cents, yeah. Cents or pounds? C- no, cents. No, the exchange Cents. rate's rubbish at the oh, moment. Oh, is it all right? No, not dollars. <laughs> okay, right. So we're going to start the show then as we do each week with our rundown of the weekly news from around the world and the UK. So if you're ready, Matt. I am, yes. And if you're ready, Mark. Yes, I'm ready. Let's go. Thank you. 
So, kicking off this week's first news story then. This one is on the posh newspaper. It's the telegraph.co.uk. Uh, <laughs> and uh, the headline is Battle of the Budget Airlines. So, Norwegian is poaching Ryanair pilots, apparently. Ooh. Or are its passengers next? So, Ryanair has been uh, uh, the airline on everyone's lips, as we all know, for the last few weeks, um, with the carrier fighting for its reputation amid the chaos of cancelling over our 315,000 bookings. But one of uh, the uh, rumoured to, uh, or spun rumoured to spark the meltdown by luring all its pilots away. I, I did hear this actually in a story on um, during the week actually about them pilots being being pinched from uh, from Ryanair. But Norwegian is perhaps best known uh, in the UK for its headline grabbing fares to the US, Argentina and Singapore. And they can do New York for 60 quid as well. But last week it was in the news again as experts suggested it had exacerbated Ryanair's messing up of its holiday uh, staff and all the holidays thing uh, scheduled by poaching 140 of the Irish Airlines pilots in Ooh. just one year. Wow. This week, Norwegian further established itself as part of the British aviation furniture when its UK subsidiary was granted permission to fly transatlantic flights. So whose is exactly the airline which started life in Western Norway in 1993? And does it have the brains and brawn to knock Ryanair from its perch? Today, uh, the third largest low-cost carrier in Europe, behind Ryanair and EasyJet, Norwegian, or Norwegian Air Shuttle as it was previously known, began running a regional service between cities on the west coast of Norway before expanding in 2002 to operate its first UK route, Stavanger to Newcastle. By 2007, Norwegian was operating out of Warsaw as well as Bergen and it had 42 Boeing 737s on order. Norwegian grew and grew, announcing its long-haul intentions in 2009 before setting up a base at London Gatwick in 2013, from where it now flies to a host of US cities as well as Singapore and Buenos Aires. So the uh, obviously the they've got um, you can't really see on here this on if you're on the YouTube video you might be able to see if Matt pops it up but it's a picture anyway it shows the destinations that Ryanair and Norwegian fly to uh, Norwegian obviously have their um, uh, long haul destinations and stuff in the US unlike uh, Ryanair but um, this I mean the story does go on it's obviously Norwegian is um, is quite a, a competitor for the low cost flights especially across to the US. Um, they're offering flights uh, from Gatwick for around about £245 plus £40 for a 20, p uh, 20 kilo piece of luggage. Mm. Um, will um, This is um, Norwegian's offering from Gatwick to, doesn't you say, from Copenhagen. Another spot check uh, on a long weekend in Copenhagen for late November. They're offering flights again from Gatwick. Uh, return flights uh, to Copenhagen from London Gatwick for £71.20 with no luggage. Um, the same fare with Ryanair costs just £50, so they're a little bit cheaper there, Ryanair, than Norwegian there. But obviously, as we said, Norwegian have this uh, this long-haul kind of um, part and stuff on, you know, for their... For their Was it Norwegian that they were talking about doing some possible coat like uh, it wasn't. It wasn't Norwegian that they were going to be feeding into their long haul network, was it? No. No, who no, was that no. I'm thinking of? I can't remember. Well, now. the story says here that they, say they ask the question do Ryanair and Norwegian get on? Well, it says not right. quite no. here by the story. The Irish Airlines' historic rivalry has always been Aer Lingus, obviously, yes. the uh, country's flag carrier. While its relationship with EasyJet has always been comparatively professional, but Norwegian CEO Bjorn Kios and Ryanair's Michael O'Leary have recently developed a fair bit of shared animosity. Mm. <laughs> but obviously well, things have not fair. been too great for um, 
uh, for Ryanair this week. No, and, indeed. And uh, we'll move on to story number two, which sort of, uh, I think, is the best way to describe a yeah. headline. In fact, <laughs> actually, I've had a couple of great stories, one of which was sent to me by um, uh, a couple of listeners, and it was... Uh, yeah, it, it's it's not been a good week for them, has it, really? Let's be honest. Uh, William Hardcastle, he sent me uh, one which was really interesting over this whole deadline, wasn't it, Where, with the whole CAA thing, uh, and um, which I'll, I'll, I'll come to in a minute. But, uh, yeah, the story I've got in front of me here is actually more because, obviously, we are all about the passenger. And so if you are experiencing issues in regard to your Ryanair flight, uh, the Daily Post has information that must be adhered to. So this is uh, what Ryanair passengers should do if they're flight has been cancelled. Uh, Ryanair has been warned by the Civil Aviation Authority that it has until 5pm today to meet its obligations. Obviously that deadline has now passed. Uh, the budget airline has been instructed to tell passengers that they are entitled to be rerouted within another flight operator uh, and explain how to do so. The carrier must also publicly confirm that it will reimburse expenses accrued as a result of the cancellation, something Ryanair has failed to do. Uh, in addition to this, they have been told that they must commit to helping passengers who chose an unsuitable option as a result of being misled. Thousands of passengers have been affected by the last-minute cancellation of flights, which came about after it was revealed the airline had messed up pilot holiday rosters. Uh, the demands come after the regulators accused the airline of not complying with the law over its handling fiasco. The regulator has asked for a meeting with the airline as part of a consultation that will last at least seven days and could take legal action for breaching customer protection laws. Uh, it says Ryanair has falsely claimed it did not have to reroute passengers on other airlines, particularly when no other services were available. The CAA has also accused the airline of uh, stopping short of providing details on its obligations to refund additional expenses incurred by passengers as a result of cancellations, including for meals, hotels and transfer costs. Uh, the CAA chief executive Andrew Haynes said that he was furious after Ryanair cancelled um, an extra 18,000 flights for the winter season on Wednesday, a move that will hit 400,000 customers. Uh, he said that it was clear that there are clear laws in place which are intended to assist passengers in the event of a cancellation, helping minimise both the frustration and inconvenience caused by uh, circumstances completely out of their control. Uh, we have made this crystal clear to Ryanair, who are well aware of their legal obligations, which includes how and when they should reroute passengers, along with the level of information it provides to its passengers. The information Ryanair published today, again, fails to make this clear. In expediting our enforcement action, we are seeking to ensure that Ryanair customers will receive the correct and necessary information to make an informed choice about an alternative flight. I mean, I can go on. Obviously, it's pretty clear it's a very bitter It's been, story. A, been a very news. The week. only thing I'm going to say, if I may, uh, against this is this is something that's just been brought to my attention again by one of our listeners. Uh, and actually, as a counterclaim to that, Ryanair has now called upon the UK CAA uh, to now require UK airlines to comply um, 
with these EU 261 obligations which the CAA did not apply to British Airways in May this year when a computer meltdown stranded hundreds of thousands of British citizens uh, stroke visitors at London Heathrow and many other airports uh, with no apparent action taken by the CAA in respect of reaccommodation or enforcement against British Airways. So uh, they haven't messed around really in coming back with what I can only describe as a counter argument um, for that which I guess is uh, not to be expected. I should just stress that that information came from the Ryanair website directly that mm. I was just reading out there. So, um, so Mark, what, what are, are you a user of uh, Ryanair? Have you been a user of Ryanair in the past? Uh, I can't say that I've had that uh, dubious pleasure. I don't actually do an awful lot of commercial flying. I don't do a lot of flying at all, really. I, I tend to stand around with the camera more. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but... Um, they yeah, do fly out of Newquay occasionally. Uh, they did oh. stop for a while when Newquay put the airport duty or airport passenger tax on uh, departing passengers. Uh, but they, once Newquay took that off, they have now returned. Mm. Uh, and I'm watching some of the places they're going because it does make flying very affordable. Yeah. And I'm possibly going to take advantage of that when I can. Yeah, I, I, it, it's a funny one, isn't it? I mean, we're... <laughs> Yeah. I mean, there's 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 no two ways about it. There's, this has been a monumental cock-up, hasn't it? I mean, it's just you don't um, one of yeah. those one of yeah. those. Yeah, it is. There is no way that yeah. um, you know that I, I'm I, I'm surprised, given what I know about Ryanair and their scheduling, uh, which is to be honest, so rigorous. Certainly when it comes to cabin crew, uh, I'm just amazed that such a screw-up has been made, if you like, in mm. regard to uh, pilots and their time off. Now, I think there is this, as I say, there is this great. Ever, I think, which I mentioned last week, where it was because they're having to move the calendar, and that's what's causing uh, so many of the problems. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's. Uh, I, I genuinely don't. I ge- honestly don't think. I mean, in a year's time, everybody will have forgotten about this. I know. And it I, will I, just be. Do you know? What, everybody will be doing exactly what everybody's <laughs> I was, I was been doing. Literally, before. just going to yeah. say that, Matt. You know, give this, give this another. I don't know. Give us another two or three weeks, and yeah. it'll be. It'll be gone. It'll be, yeah, you know, absolutely. it'll be. I think it'll be longer than two or three weeks because, right, okay. well, okay. especially if the CAA have now got involved and it's all, there's going to be weeks of white papers going backwards yeah. and forwards and stuff. Now. I, I just, I just think, yeah, it'll, it'll just be a non non-story in a few weeks yeah I mean it obviously is very sad because it's like 400,000 passengers are about to be inconvenienced by this um, I think I read a report earlier on the week so far it cost Ryanair 22 million pounds but let's be honest I mean to Ryanair that's (laughs) just a drop in the ocean isn't it I mean (laughs) sorry euros euros yes thank you yeah Um, absolutely it's it's really not going to make a great deal of difference in the grand scheme of things I uh, as the rather cynical amongst myself was actually myself and a friend of mine uh, well not so much me but my friend is is rather prone to sort of um, watching or sort of playing the stock market shall we say no, and he's yeah. done quite well out of it and I said I actually said to him when these stories started breaking you want to start watching the Ryanair price actually and see what happens and uh, I texted him today because he's been watching the trends and I said what's happened to it and the uh, the Ryanair price has literally not moved at all in all of this so it's like the shareholders are not nervous about this at all this is obviously just a blip that will sort itself out and go away i mean it's i don't know it's it's uh, it, it, I, I feel for the families as i said you know that have been involved and you know because it is a cheap way of getting somewhere and people's holidays uh, over the christmas period will now be either not possible or you know more expensive but uh, it's actually a close of business today matt it's actually gone up by um, yeah yeah it's gone by, up. yeah yeah uh, it was it was 104 yeah 104.05 us dollars it says here on this website and it's up 2.46 
or two point four two percent. Oh, it's just gone up. Blimey, it's just gone up again. Yeah. <laughs> whilst I'm reading this story. Okay. Well, it is, okay. Yeah, so it's fair to say investors are not nervous about what's going on. I think that's yeah. the best way. Ryanair to stocks it. definitely not going anywhere. No, indeed. Yeah. No. So the next story. Moving on. We're going to get away from the Ryanair things. Yes. Now. I think we've all yeah. heard enough about that. Yes. Yeah. So the next story is on the cityam.com website, and uh, it is. It is. No, it's not. <laughs> No, it's on the star.com. I don't know what you're on about. And, and anyway, it doesn't that's matter. Because it's it Mark's story. It's fine. It's so, yeah, right, so, fire, so take fire it away, away sir. <laughs> I'll just click uh, You had me confused there. Yeah. Right. Um, right. You can now text friends and family for free aboard <laughs> this airline. Wow, that's uh, going to be fun. Yeah. <laughs> Passengers flying select Delta Airlines Ooh. flights will soon be able to send free text messages from 30,000 feet in the air. Delta has scooped up bragging rights to becoming the first U.S. global carrier to offer free in-text, sorry, in-flight text messaging to their flyers beginning October the 1st. The service will be available via messaging platforms like iMessage, WhatsApp, and Facebook Messenger. Free messaging will be available on all Delta flights powered by GoGo Air, an in-flight internet provider. Delta's announcement is the latest development for in-flight connectivity this week. Netflix announced plans to extend bandwidth efficiency for mobile devices on airlines around the world beginning next year to make it more accessible for travellers and improve the viewing experience in flight. Netflix currently has partnerships with Virgin America, Qantas Virgin Australia, Aeromexico, among others. Details on future airline collaborations have not yet been released. Well, it's all very good, but it is, yeah. I think I, as long as it, it stays just the texting, I think that's <laughs> yeah. not too bad. If it starts being the actual calls as well, there'll be a lot more complaints. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I don't know. We, we've had this discussion before, though, haven't we? It's just like, can people really not unplug themselves um, from like communicating with other people on the ground for that? couple of hours that you're in the air you know i mean i suppose if you i mean i can understand like in, in in the business world but then of course in the business world they can get online do emails um communicate um and, and carry on working you know while they're in the business class section that that's fine but mm. can can we really not bear to be texting our friends for for a five-hour flight can't we just look out the window and enjoy the view we have always said matt that we'd yeah. love to do a live show from is that oh, oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Is that if, our mission? If bandwidth. Oh, okay. Right. I mean, I, I mean, I'd just like to sort of comment on that, if I may, Carlos. I mean, I get stressed <laughs> enough as it is yeah. when we've got a dirty, great big satellite pointing at a tiny little satellite. You know, it just and I, I, I wet myself doing that. How the hell am I going to do it in the air? <laughs> but the story does say actually free text messages. So yeah, you know, I don't know quite how that good. would work. I yeah. don't know quite how that would work unless you all had SIM cards or something in it, but. Uh, mm. Uh, but then, uh, unless they're talking about, cause oh. I get very confused. Are, are they talking about SMS specifically, or are they talking about, say, like WhatsApp communication or something? I, I think it was the the WhatsApp type. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was the, it was the da data messages rather than the yeah. actual yeah. SMS text SMS messages. messages. Although I have to confess, I mean, I'm a little bit guilty because obviously during my flight to Pittsburgh, I was pestering all my friends <laughs> while I was in the air just because I got I just got an, I got an hour's yeah. worth of free Wi-Fi, so I was I was sitting there pinging WhatsApps left, right, and centre. So it's uh, yeah, who. I, I, I'll ignore everything I've just said. I'm I'm worse than everyone else. <laughs> but uh, there we are. Anyway, but a lot of a lot of the your IFE uh, systems in aircraft, Emirates mm. and and quite a few of the other airlines do it. The uh, the little 
handsets you pull out from the actual mm. t- the uh, TVs in front of you, you can text other people in the aircraft by seat number. Yeah. So if your friend's sitting right at the back of the aircraft and you're yeah, yeah. you know you're right at the front in business, you can you can actually send them a message via uh, via the you know the actual console, the actual seat you're sitting in. Which oh, is quite Owen's arrived just in time. Oh, has he? <laughs> yeah. Hello, Owen. Hello, Owen. He's just like, the chat room's busy going crazy because Owen's Cause appeared. Owen's yeah, there, yeah. 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 So yeah, they've story. lost interest in us now. Oh, no. <laughs> That's it. That's all that's done so the next story is yep. uh, on the... Wow. What site is that? I don't know. It's your site. <laughs> don't want you to look at it. Uh, I bet even you can't read that website address. Um, I beg your pardon. Uh, Agassi Harrison, Harrison Observer. Yeah, that's, the, what I, that's what I said. Uh, Agassi's HarrisonObserver.com. Aye. Yeah, indeed. There we go. Yeah. So okay. the uh, headline on here then is <laughs> good it's, luck. Is yeah. yet another new airline that's coming on uh, online. Ultra low cost airline set to swoop uh, into BC. Canada's newest ultra low cost carrier mm. could soon swoop into Abbotsford. On Wednesday, WestJet revealed the name and hot pink logo for its Ooh. subsidiary Swoop. That's Sierra Whiskey Oscar Oscar Papa right. Swoop. Okay, very good. Uh, yes. It will begin selling tickets for summer flights in February, according to Bob Cummins, Web, uh, WestJet's executive vice president responsible for the company's launch. Swoop will leverage WestJet's infrastructure and fly 10 787-800 planes with 189 seats each, Cummins said. A ticket will only buy a seat with an extra fee likely charge for luggage, priority seating, extra legroom and even in-flight entertainment. You pay for exactly what you want and you will get value from, he said. Cummins would not confirm whether or not Swoop would uh, be flying in and out of Abbotsford International Airport, or YXX, but it said it's a tremendous airport that fits very well with the uh, ultra-low-cost carrier model. Uh, For competitive reasons, we won't be absolutely disclosing the cities and the network until our booking launch day in February in 2018, he said, but the airport's general manager seemed confident. Uh, it looks like Swoop will be in Abbotsford, said Palm Sidhu, the Abbotsford Airport's general manager. Uh, Sidhu said that, uh, that his airport is perfectly suited to serve an ultra-low-cost carrier like Swoop and anticipates it will get new people flying who aren't able to afford conventional airlines. Uh, he said he expects operations to take off hmm, in June 2018. <laughs> Uh, WestJet, uh, I know yeah. WestJet has studied the ultra-low-cost carrier model uh, around the world, particularly in the U.S. Come and said, and there he said, bargain airlines like Spirit and Allegiant typically charge 50% less than Canadian airlines for flights of the same distance. You won't see quite those levels of discounts from Swoop, but we're building a cost structure to get towards those kind of discounts and average fare levels that are quite substantially lower, and I'll say game-changing. Do you keep messaging me on WhatsApp? No, Matt? I'm not. <laughs> that's the uh, that's the PTUK one. Um, anyway, so Swoop, a new airline. They've got a rather uh, nice, uh, well, rather nice paint job. I will say, if you're mm. a, if you're a lover of pink, you'll definitely love Swoop's uh, paint job on the aircraft. But uh, this is good news, obviously, for people living in Canada, because you'll be able to. Yeah, have, although uh, actually, I have flights. to say, Liz, Liz has just said in the chat room here at. Um, 
because uh, you're saying I cannot see the ultra low cost carriers uh, Canadian Airlines uh, working and so I have to confess I did uh, ping a message and ask the question why and she thinks that actually it's uh, it's more to do with the fact that they just don't have the population and the distances involved are far too great uh, which I think is a possible concern I mean that that is that is a genuine uh, issue it's um, yeah, I don't know. And she's also saying, because they were talking about jazz, you lo- lose jazz, jazz and then gain swoop. But uh, Liz is actually saying jazz is still around. Uh, they're Air Canada's uh, regional uh, line. So it's, um, yeah, it's, I don't know. I mean, do, uh, does Liz have a, I'm sure she has a point because she's a very intelligent lady, but she probably has a point, doesn't she? I mean, it's, it's not like, because of the land masses involved, it's not like just in our case where we're popping to Ireland mm. uh, or whatever. I mean, you know, it's to go from one end of ca- Canada to another is is quite a major um, quite a major thing, and to have more than one low cost carrier because as you said yeah. you've got Jazz and uh, and obviously the Swoop interesting name Swoop it doesn't really come off the well tongue no, tongue yeah easy. okay Swoop yeah. Swoop okay Swoop right. Yeah. <laughs> Good, indeed. Anyway, Moving on, uh, yes, next story. All right, yes, I, I suppose i better do that one, hadn't I? Uh, and, uh, yes, this is on the, I'm just waiting, Flight Global, good old Flight Global, and the headline is JetBlue launches airspace by Airbus cabin for A320. Hmm. JetBlue Airways has agreed to be the launch customer in 2020 for the airspace by Airbus cabin Um Interior for the A320 family that features a central lighting strip, larger baggage bins, and a new lavatory design. Ooh. <laughs> I know. Very exciting <laughs> stuff. Uh, the new interior yeah. will begin installations on JetBlue's A320 starting in 2020 when the New York based carrier is scheduled to have around 70 aircraft left in backlog. Uh, Ingo uh, Wukedza. Who is the vice? Anyway, he's, well the vice pre- he's the vice president of ca- cabin marketing for Airbus. Marketing for Airbus says on the twenty sixth of September in an announcement ceremony at the aircraft exterior interiors expo. Uh, JetBlue currently has one hundred and two A three twenty family aircraft in backlog, along with one hundred and seventy six A three twenties and A three twenty ones combined already delivered. Airbus began collaborating with JetBlue executives on the design of the new cabin months before the airspace by. Airbus concept was unveiled last April at the Aircraft Interiors Expo in Hamburg, Germany. Um, the, the chief executive has said uh, Airbus plans to make the Airbus the airspace by Airbus cabin standard within three to four years of the entry into service with JetBlue in 2020. He adds, until then, Airbus will deliver aircraft with two types of cabins a retrofit option for the airspace by airbus concept will become available in 2020 in parallel with the forward fit version he adds Uh, meanwhile the larger baggage bins developed for airspace by airbus will be introduced a year earlier in 2019 an undisclosed north american customer has ordered that particular feature the bins are enlarged to handle 60 percent more bags with each Mm. bag up to 40 percent larger than possible today now I can think of several low-cost carriers who would probably be quite excited yeah. about having slightly larger bins there's not a lot on Airbus's website yeah. if you go on to to Airbus's website and look at mm. try and look at the airspace the, the part of that yeah. website is still under construction still all it's, a it's bit quite hush. Yes, uh, but you can yeah. Google some of the images from uh, from the the kind of expo they done mm. with airspace and Airbus had this big setup mm. mock-up uh, cabin interior and it's very much all to do with lighting 
right. LED lighting. Okay. It, it's very um, uh, the, the kind of lighting they've kind of got a kind of done a kind of similar thing that, that Boeing do with the mood lighting. So when you're yep. flying, they can change the interior yep. cabin lighting okay. to reflect yeah. the time Whether of the day eating or, or yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and also there, there's a picture actually on, on if you if you google airspace cabin uh yeah. you'll there's actually a shot of one of these particular yeah. bins overhead bins and it's huge yeah it is huge you could you could honestly get a quite reasonable sized hand luggage suitcase in there with, with no with no issues at all yeah um so it, the cabin it does look i mean the cabin interiors look so good um and if they can put this onto mm. sort of mainline aircraft such oh, as the 320 level uh, brace yourselves everyone uh captain bell has arrived oh rick bell <laughs> yeah absolutely hey, <coughs> greetings rick indeed he says hello PTUK. he says oh hello uh, rick. so yes uh right anyway mark the mark, next story yes. is with you please Yes, it is. This is on the Hertfordshire Mercury. And it's Emirates is recruiting commercial airline pilots at a Stansted Airport event. Ooh. High flyers in the airline industry could be heading for sunny Dubai following a pilot roadshow at Stansted Airport. The event is being held by the airline Emirates in a bid to recruit experienced and technically proficient commercial pilots. It will provide a chance to learn more about the recruitment process talk to staff and find out about living and working in Dubai. The event takes place at the Radisson Blue Hotel at Stansted Airport on Thursday, October the 5th at 10am and 2pm and Friday, October the 6th at 10am. Interested pilots who are unable to attend the roadshow can also make an online application at www.emirates.com forward slash pilots Perks include a 28 days on, 13 days off roster pattern for freighter pilots, a tax-free salary, medical and dental insurance, annual leave and company accommodation in Dubai. Emirates operates six services to Dubai, a day from London Heathrow and three daily from London Gatwick. Uh, do you think they're just trying to um, sort of rub uh, Ryanair's nose in it, possibly by having <laughs> a, a sort of a you know a pilot recruitment drive at one of their biggest bases? Uh, <laughs> so, you know, Actually, there wouldn't be anything like that in their mind at all. No, 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 I doubt it. Yeah, I mean, to be fair to them, they probably had this plan months and months and months and months ago before any of this actually kicked off. But you just a- Emirates, Emirates <laughs> is yeah. you know all jokes aside, Emirates is a huge airline, as we all know, yeah. Yeah. and uh, quite a few a few of the flights that we've taken with Emirates over the last few years yeah. uh, the pilots have been British pilots but do they actually uh, f- forgive my naivety here and this, this is uh, but I didn't realise there was much Emirates stuff come out of Stansted um, I thought they tended to be Heathrow this is just I think this is just like a show I know but it's a bit of a weird show. one is why, yeah. Emir- why Emirates would be doing a Choosing show perhaps at an airport which they don't normally use mm. Uh, unless interesting one there. Yeah, perhaps may, someone maybe in the chat room will know. Yeah, well, well, I, well they obviously well, will they know. They know everything. That's why we rely on them. Perhaps, <laughs> they could, perhaps they couldn't get anything near. Where did that come from? Oh, perhaps no they idea. couldn't get anything near uh, to Gatwick or Heathrow. So uh, Stansted ah. was was a, the best option, I think. Yes, yes, yes. Sorry, it's just, your your machine wants to restart. That's what it is. Oh, is that? Oh, okay. <laughs> and I had the sound on you from when, AP, when we were simulcasting APG earlier. Uh, but but uh, <laughs> yeah. twenty eight days on and thirteen days off roster. Mm, sounds good. Yeah, oh. you get two, nearly two weeks off. Sounds all right to After me. After twenty-eight days, yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, all the pilots will probably go. No, that's rubbish. That's yeah. Rubbish. Yes. Absolutely. But yeah. I do like the. I'll tell you what will appeal to a lot of people. I think a tax-free salary. I, I, I beg your pardon. 
Yeah. <laughs> that does sound rather good. <laughs> Doesn't it? Yeah. That does sound Absolutely. rather good. Yeah, but if you if you look at a lot of the forum sites and stuff for the pilots now, there are there are a lot of pilots who do learn to fly in the UK and they do move but to Presumably to you Emirates. have to move to Dubai in order oh, to yeah, you, benefit. Yeah, you yeah, can't yeah, yeah, you yeah. can't be based here in the UK <laughs> and get the tax free thing. That's that just opens up a whole can of worms. <laughs> That's why they all drive around in sports cars. Okay, moving on to the next story before we get sued. Uh, um, Carlos, this is with you. <laughs> So the next story then on the mail on a uh, dailymail.co.uk yes. this one another quality newspaper it is quality yeah <laughs> so the headline going once going twice united airlines oh it's uh, one of brian's favorites mr coleman mm. uh, united airlines to oh. launch auction <laughs> program allowing passengers to sell their seats on overbooked flights Hmm. United Uh-oh. Airlines <laughs> is set to launch a program port, allowing port. <laughs> <laughs> allowing passengers to auction their seats on overbooked flights. A new interface will allow customers to enter how much compensation they expect in return for the inconvenience. News of the auction concept uh, follows an incident in April which saw uh, passenger David Day forcibly dragged. We already know about that one. Force of a flight. Uh, the, uh, really? The incident grew global <laughs> attention and controversy and uh, the practice of what bumping. Was that, Did I miss that? <laughs> uh, whereby airlines prevent passengers from boarding flights after deliberately overbooking them to ensure all seats are filled in case some passengers fail to show up. Despite the floor united said it had almost 90 percent reduction of so-called involuntary denied boardings uh, year over year since may the first however now the chicago-based carrier is making further amendments to revive its public image travel expert brian summers tweeted that the new auction concept will launch by october the third that's not long from now no next week uh, he also shared an image showing uh, what uh, the landing page will look like that's brian summers on on twitter um united isn't the first uh, to launch such a program delta airlines revealed a similar auction system several years ago Did they? Uh, the airline takes bids via text messages and selects the lowest amounts until all passengers have been accommodated uh, the airline industry over the past year has been aggressively offering passengers compensation to give up their seats on overbooked planes in order to avoid public relation nightmares most recently mother of three tracy java smith was compensated four thousand dollars to give her seat up on an overbooked Delta flight from Atlanta to South Bend, Indiana. She was able to fly out and land just eight hours later than expected. <laughs> Mail Online Travel is yet to receive a comment from United. $4,000? Yeah. Do you know, if I'd paid 400 quid for a flight and they offered me a thousand pound to miss the yeah, flight... Yeah, I'd be alright with that. I'd be yeah, quite yeah, happy with that. It, yeah. I did actually, because I, I when, when, obviously I was with United when we went out to... Um, uh, Pittsburgh, and one of the things that they were actually saying is that on the machines when you when you go to sort of check in and stuff, and it was saying, do you? One of the questions it asked you were, would you be happy to be bumped onto a different flight if it didn't matter? And to which you pressed yes if it's in business class. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> uh, but uh, but I, I mean, I wasn't so fussed about going. You know, I, obviously, I wanted to get out there on on the day, but I th- actually, on, on coming home, I did click the no. I'm quite happy to be bumped and fly home a different day because I thought I don't mind if I have to stay another day. That's fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was loving Pittsburgh. I really we love Pittsburgh. Yeah, we you do. might have even had a different plane on the way back, so that it might have been a nicer experience. Well, there is that. There is that to it. Yeah. Did I mention I don't like the seven five seven? Oh, poor Mark. I think he knows. Yeah. He knows all about it. Did that come up it. in conversation? 
mentioned the tool? Did I mention how it tried to nearly kill me? <laughs> what, do you, what, what do you think of this uh, seat bumping thing, uh, Mark? Obviously, you've, you've, you say you don't fly commercially that often, but uh, you know, if, if you'd booked your flight on uh, on a, such an airline, let's just say, for instance, United, and they they bumped you off, uh, would would you be upset at all? Um, with the auction system, I think it's a good idea because if you really need to get somewhere to a deadline. You can either say no, or you can put something at a very high value in, and then go and buy something else on another airline. Yeah, true. Uh, um, if it was just straight bumped off, and when I was already sat on the plane, I would be rather upset. Yeah, true. Yeah. <laughs> As we heard about earlier in the year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was uh, that, that was that was that was that some stunning footage. That I was know. yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so moving on to the next story, a bit of a tech one for you, Matt. I picked this. Is um, it right? Yeah, picked okay. especially for you this one. So uh, yes, yeah, so this is on the Fortune Travel website, and the headline is: um, "It's your your guide to getting Wi-Fi on most." major airlines being able to browse facebook email and watch netflix on flights has become more important than ever but what's the best way to get wi-fi one planes wi-fi one planes what's a wi-fi one wi-fi on i think they put an e on there that journalism thing oh i see yeah uh, we had some experts break down how to get we had some that's nice we had some experts break down uh, <laughs> how to get the best deals uh before you take off one company travel bloggers uh chris mcginnis and edward Pizzarello, my apologies if that's uh, badly pronounced, which it most likely is, suggested travellers familiarise themselves with uh, is GoGo, uh, Go -Go, uh, an in-flight Wi-Fi provider to American, Alaska, Delta, Virgin America and United Airlines. The most important thing a frequent traveller can do is buy GoGo passes on the ground instead of waiting until they get on the plane. Buying a day pass in advance costs just $19 while buying a full flight pass on a transcontinental flight can cost up to $50. Mm. Ooh, that's worth knowing. You need to stick that in the old memory banks. GoGo also offers a subscription plan for international flights at $69.95 a month. For domestic flights, they offer a $49.95 a month subscription plan as well. However, you'll need to fly more than two days each month to make the monthly cost of those plans worth it. Since there are a number of in-flight internet providers out there, Edward Pizza, Edward, editor of uh, a pizza in motion .com, also suggests using the website route happy. Um, so a website route happy to see what is available on a specific flight. Uh, some airlines like Spirit Airlines, Frontier Airlines and Hawaiian Airlines don't offer in-flight Wi-Fi. But for those major airlines that do, here's a breakdown of how to get the best Wi-Fi deal. So on American Airlines, American Airlines offers a $16 a day pass for domestic flights. However, Wi-Fi pricing for international airline flights goes uh, goes up to $19 or $12 uh, for two hours and $17 for four hours. Passengers can also purchase a $7 one-hour pass from GoGo that works on American Airlines flights. 
Now that is worth knowing. I need to stick that in the memory bank um, for when I go in November. Uh, then I can pester you all with photographs. Oh, yeah. Because uh, when I'm on my 767 this time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Wi-Fi is available on nearly all of their flights according to their website. Uh, and they noted that the American Airlines uses GoGo and a few other providers uh, to, sh- to power their Wi-Fi. Most GoGo-powered Wi-Fi on American Airlines flights use their older cell tower technology, which provides around 9 megabits for the entire aircraft however uh, more of the air fl- airlines flights are getting upgraded to gogo's newer satellite powered service which provides 15 megabyte megabits per person flipping it uh, alaska airlines on alaska airlines flights you can use gogo's one hour pass so i'll skip over that so that's basically more or less the same so again uh, if you're using alaska airlines my advice would be to you to buy the gogo 16 dollar day pass rather than on flight which mm. will cost you 36 dollars if it's alaska uh, delta also use gogo so again it's 16 dollars uh, but it's 28 dollars if you want to buy it uh, in the air JetBlue provides free Wi-Fi service on all planes. That's worth knowing. Uh, with rather impressive speeds of uh, between 12 and 20 megabits per person. That's, That's really good. good. Yeah. Uh, Southwest, um, they use a different service. Um, uh, it's the, one of the most affordable paid-for plans at $8 per device uh, per day. The service is reasonably fast, though you can't stream movie services like Netflix or Amazon. Um, but um, they do offer movies for rent on board at a price of just $5 each. Uh, United, again, so we're back to um, the go-go service so again you're paying $16 um, to use their service Virgin America which is the last one uh, now they say that they also use GoGo's first generation Wi-Fi service like Alaska uh, they're beginning upgrades to the 2KU service in early 2018 according to uh, this particular Pizzarello. They also use Viasat on some aircraft. You can buy a pass through GoGo if your plane uses its service for $19 uh, for the day or a £7, $7 for the pass. Uh, service on Viasat-enabled planes ranges from $5 to $18 depending on the length of flight. Monthly and annual GoGo subscription members can use this flight <laughs> service for free. Now, I must admit, if it was a long-haul flight, so if you are going transatlantic, I, re- I would quite happily pay $8 to, to you know, be able to sort of do emails and chat to people while I'm in the air to be honest as long as I've got my headphones in and I'm not annoying anyone else I did put that into the chat room while you were reading the story to see yeah. what the chat room thought about it. having Wi-Fi on board oh dear uh, Glenn Towler he said he's, he would like to have, love to have Wi-Fi on board uh, yeah. he's waiting for Air New Zealand uh, to sort to that out their on their aircraft up, yeah. um, Liz Piper uh, Wi-Fi yes cell calls no right yeah I think that's in that's capital the, letters yeah that seems to be the the general um, consensus doesn't it to which it's, Glenn uh, Tyler replied noise cancelling yeah. headphones well that, that is true <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely uh, Pip says thanks Matt I needed to know that for my next AA flight yeah seriously so it's the go-go I, I, the, the only thing they don't say in that article is they don't actually mention uh, how you get hold of the go-go uh, thing but I'm sure if you go Google, to the website if you Google yeah. it I'm sure yeah. you'll find it but so basically uh, buy yeah, before you buy fly. before you fly and you, and it's only $16 for the the entire flight yeah. as where it uh, with uh, American it can be up to $36 for the same flight so yeah, definitely worth doing it before you fly absolutely there you go indeed talking of pilot pip we have a great segment from him we talking do. Of, talking about his last couple of days on his uh, hawker and uh, flying into Russia which is coming mm. up very shortly so uh, next story is for you mark yes this is on the sad story this one. Yeah. website united airlines last boeing 747 flight 
will have a 1970s theme. Oh, nice. Even planes get great retirement parties. United Airlines is officially retiring the Boeing 747, which made its inaugural trip on November the 1st, 1970, with a flight from San Francisco to Honolulu. In honour of its swan song flight, the airline is putting together a retro-inspired goodbye send-off for the aircraft, complete with a 1970s-themed menu, a retro-uniformed crew, and period-appropriate in-flight entertainment. Seats on the one-way flight, which departs San Francisco at 11am PST, are available for purchase directly through United. In addition, the seats in the upper deck of the plane will be left unsold, so all of the passengers can visit the space during the flight. Finally, some legroom. According to Travel Weekly, United plans to fly its final international route using a 747 from Seoul to San Francisco on October the 29th. I thought it just said it was San Francisco <laughs> to Honolulu. Yeah. Um, yeah, right. Anyway, yeah. while exact details have yet to be released, we hope nostalgic travellers get a chance to sip a Harvey Wallbanger while enjoying the screening <laughs> of the Planet of the Apes wow. at cruising altitude. Yeah, that is fantastic. That is that is. Now great. you pop the pictures up while uh, Mark is reading I the did, story. Yeah, there, yeah, yeah. there's a picture there of the interior of uh, of one of these uh, so sort of 1970s. And I, I just said to Matt, I said these seats are huge. They are huge. They yeah, are like absolutely. they're like armchairs they are like you know, armchairs when you look at how they're not how like armchairs they are armchairs I mean look at that seriously look at the state of that that, Honestly, is, that is huge oh. I mean that's, I mean, they did look incredibly comfortable seats back, did, in, back, in, the, back, back in the olden day, days yeah, that, is the, that is the way to travel <laughs> isn't it let's be honest yes. I, I, I actually would have thought that would be nice if they could have um, brought one of the old 7.4s out of mothballs say a 200 <laughs> series right, okay. and uh, you know with the old retro interior and, and just sort of get it airworthy and fly it again because look at the wood panelling I, I mean know. even the wood panelling on, on the sides of the I mean that is just yeah, no, so I'm not cool. putting the picture up again, Carlos, because right. it's depressing I... the living de- bejesus out of me, <laughs> frankly. Uh, now, I've just seen what story's coming up next, Carlos, and I'll be honest with you, I'm a bit nervous. <laughs> I so, did, don't so, panic, I did vet uh, this Oh, one. good, I'm delighted. Anyway, uh, take it away, sir. Uh, so, uh, the next story, then, is, uh, um, well, it's... Um, it, it, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a sad story. It's in a some sad respects, story. It's somebody, a sad story. Uh, a very old, dirty man has yeah. passed away. That's the best way to describe it. <laughs> so, the headline, then, remembering Hugh Hefner and his iconic jet black DC-9 named Big Bunny. I'm sorry. Stuff is appearing in the chat room that I cannot read out, but it is funny. Moving uh, on. So, long before the aerospace industry had a whole subset marketplace dedicated to providing custom lavish flying palaces for the super rich, wealthy and extravagant businessmen and entertainers who would have to find companies willing to adapt airlines for their personal use and the results were far from consistent. Elvis Presley's he had his Convair 880 called Lisa Marie and uh, Bobby Sherman's Boeing 707 called the Starship, and later Donald Trump's 727 are among the most well-known of these pre-Boeing business jet airliner adaptions. But uh, in the aviation industry uh, community, one of the aircraft in particular may be the most beloved, the late Hugh Hefner's jet black DC-9 with the Playboy bunny emblazoned on its tail, famously named the Big Bunny. Uh, The plane was nearly as unique and compelling as the man who commissioned it, and like 
like Hugh Hefner, it has stood the test of time when it comes to capturing the public's imagination. At the pinnacle of Playboy magazine's popularity in 1969, Hugh Hefner had pretty much uh, every material possession a man could ask for, aside from his own flying Playboy club. So after researching what airframe would be best to suited to uh, for the culture, or the pictures on there, icon parting and logistical needs, Playboy Enterprises chose this still relatively new DC-9 as Hefner's flying chariot and brand ambassador. For the era, the DC-9 was economical, reliable, offered a lot of square footage and had its own air stairs. And most importantly, it was sleek and sexy, a trait the competing Boeing 737 didn't really offer. On January the 27th, 1969, Playboy took possession of a DC-9-32 straight from the McDonnell Douglas factory at the cost of $5.5 million. Not a small check to write in 1969. The jet's registration number was November 950 Papa Bravo. So the story goes on then. The, the aircraft went through an interior outfitting process unlike any jet before it. Instead of the bolted down velvet couches and audio consoles flown on other large private jets uh, the Playboy jet got a futuristic Scandinavian designed influence interior that looked like something out of Space Odyssey 2001 with a little barbell phone in uh, inside it featured a theatre, multiple lounges full of bathrooms with showers and of course a big rounded waterbed for the top playboy himself. Oh dear. Throughout his life Hefner did much of his business atop his bed sheets and to him okay. the bed wasn't just a place to sleep and a turn, it was to party as well. Right, anyway, yes, okay, alright, I think so we're off I think we're off topic there at we'll, we'll go we'll go on to the next bit of the story. Okay. So the jet also featured right. an integ uh, integ integrated sorry entertainment system which is way ahead of its time including an eight track surround sound system and multiple televisions wow two film projectors wow. and a video system which was cutting edge tech in 1969 well, yes, it was a disco in the sky replete with dancing <laughs> lighting system and amazingly the jet also had dimming windows that would go black at the touch of a button yes, something that wasn't yes. introduced to a fleet of airliners <laughs> until the 787 well over 40 years later. Wow, I didn't know that. Right. The DC-9 also received an executive communication suite that allowed Hef and his guests to make phone calls while cruising through the stratosphere. Big Bunny sported a special crew of flight attendants dubbed aptly Jet Bunnies, who weren't casted for their looks, but also for their abilities to actually provide flight attendant service while underway. The women pulled right. from Hugh Hefner's clubs in Los Angeles and Chicago and sent for training with Continental Airlines, passing the famous airline's intense flight attendant school, uh, which were prerequisite for the job. And uh, the, uh, the the aircraft itself had an iconic paint job. It was uh, uh, unlike any of the time. No other private jet had been painted black before, so Playboy had to seek special approval from the FAA before applying the unique scheme. Hefner wanted the plane to stand out, and the uh, glossy black livery sure did the trick. Extra bright spotlights were also installed on the jet's exterior to light up the Playboy bunny on its tail for all to see as Hefner made grand arrivals for the locals. 
The Jet hauled uh, Hugh and his entourage of beautiful women, celebrities and playable staff all over the world, including some extremely exotic and austere locales. Hefner also used the Jet to commute uh, from his properties in Los Angeles and Chicago, where he taped episodes of Playboy After Dark. Okay, yeah, moving on. <laughs> so the <Enough> uh, now. <laughs> so the jet uh, in 1975, Hugh even lent Big Bunny to Operation Babylift, which saw the jet fly baby orphans uh, by the Vietnam War to the New York City, where they were received by their adoptive families. The jet was also used to ferry a gorilla named Baltimore Jack across the U.S. to meet a potential mate. So the cost, the massive cost of maintaining and operating a non-revenue airliner with its own hand-picked crew no less was too great for Playboy to justify as the magazine's circulation began to decline in the mid-1970s. Hefner had also fallen in love with a new toy in a state that would become widely known as the Playboy Mansion. Okay. The famous jet was sold to Venezuelan Airlines in 1975 and went on to spend decades in and out of storage before ending up with Aeromexico, where it served running uh, normal airline services in uh, its incredible interior long gone until 2004 when it was finally retired. The uh, part of Jet's fuselage is now uh, an educational tool, having been donated to the city of Cadereta in Mexico. Wow. So well, there we go. I must have been an iconic did, jet. I, I, really. Yeah, I, I, I got a little bit nervous when they <laughs> because I, I assumed at the chat room were talking about this, but they were actually talking the previous story when uh, when uh, <laughs> where was it uh, uh, Lane Lane Street was talking about nice shag carpeting, but I, I think he was talking about the seven four seven before. Um, uh, but, uh, and actually, especially <laughs> for Nick, actually yeah, right. Captain Nick, because okay. uh, Nick was in the chat room. Yeah. Um, the the jet, the DC nine, wasn't the only uh, aircraft to be painted all black with a Playboy mm. Bell and Tail. They actually painted uh, one of Nick's oh, aircraft, I the wish. F4 Phantom. Yeah, one of uh, one of the F4 Phantoms as well in the US Navy had uh, the Playboy Bunny on the tail as well. I genuinely wish I could read out at least even even half of the comments that are in the chat room, really? but I'm afraid that can't be okay. done. So, Moving <laughs> yeah. on then. Uh, there was what there was comment from uh, from Pip that was saying what on earth has happened to Carlos's face? <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine what that's all about. Yes, yes indeed. It's obviously been a few weeks since uh, Pip has actually uh, cock cottoned eyes onto uh, uh, the uh, the bet that is oh your, your i'm just reading i'm gonna i'm gonna read the chat room comments you? now oh, while you read the okay. next story okay all right then so the next story is uh on the cbc news uh website and uh the headline is people grabbed their seats united flight from vancouver climbs to miss glider this is not good news at all. United Airlines flight travelling from Vancouver to Chicago Monday afternoon had a near collision with a glider over Rockford, um, Illinois, the US Federal Aviation Agency has said. The pilot of United Flight 246 reported seeing a glider while flying near Rockford, the FAA said in an emailed statement. The airliner was approaching Chicago's O'Hare Airport, a passenger said. The Boeing 737 quickly climbed 122 metres to avoid a collision. Uh, Callum Snape, a passenger on the flight, said the sub-manoeuvre was felt by all on board. All of a sudden... The right wing just completely dropped 
on the plane and we just we just really did do a sharp turn to the right he said uh, no one screamed but it was enough that many people grabbed their seats and their arm wrists well we couldn't see what was happening but i knew it was out of the ordinary the faa has said it will investigate so uh now there there is a video on here i don't know what what the video is so let's just have a quick look see if it is relevant um it may be oh it's oh it's um not going to play. No, no, it's uh, it's just a description of of what I've just read out. So that is there is actually a, a flight plan or flight path, I should say, yep. on uh, which is someone's screenshot from Flight Radar Twenty Four. Yeah, Another indeed. awesome yeah. app to have on your phone. Uh, it does show the uh, the aircraft the making quite an extreme yeah. turn uh, on this, and obviously a serious sort of situation really yeah, to be it in. Is. Um, it's, it's gl- very gliders, strange, isn't it? actually, we have uh, in the UK here in the east coast of the UK where me and Matt live here. Yeah. We have quite a few glider schools in the area, um, especially sort of towards the Midlands and that. There's a lot of glider schools. And, um, you know, it's uh, quite, uh, you know, important that uh, they know where everyone is. Matt's looking at something. Don't know what Matt's looking at. That's right. I've had a communication from Sir Nev. Um, oh, Nev. But, Nev's. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know if I can get it to come. Oh, we have had a communication from we Nev. We have. He's obviously, it's, it's, it's all about to kick off in the... Um, the AV in the AV uh, w- sounds like he's in a nightclub. It does sound like AV he's in a nightclub award. at the moment. I think that is essentially what's going on. He's lied. He's not. He's not gone to the AV awards at all. He's in London clubbing. That's what it is. <laughs> yes, that, that's the first thing I think of when I when I see Nev. Of course. Uh, anyway, moving on. Uh, Mark, the next story is with you. Yes, this is on uh, cityam.com, and it's the five. Best and worst airlines Ooh. as ranked by passengers. Is it's it top five time? It is top we five like time, which means that I have to press this button here, or, or that I, one, or, or that one. <laughs> that went really well. Should I do that properly? Here we go. Or not? It's not going oh. very well at all, is it? <laughs> which are we doing first? The top five or the worst five? Oh, so what, I should, don't we, know. Should, we do, what should we do? Uh, t- we'll do the top. The the top five ones first. I think, okay, um, here we go. Mark, then. And then we'll then we'll do the worst ones, the five worst. Airlines. Okay, so we'll we'll start with the good news first, shall we? And in at number five. So at number five, then in the top five airlines, it's Air France KLM. And number four, please, Mark. That would be Ryanair. Huh? Number four. <laughs> That's what it says. Fix, fix. Anyway, number three, number three, please. Uh, Number three, it's that lovely red airline. It's Virgin. It didn't quite make top of the charts. It is number two. That is EasyJet. Mm. Okay, what was was this again? What is this top top five five of what? What, best airlines like ever? Yeah, whatever. (laughs) As ranked by passengers. As ranked by passengers, Really? Okay. So who's at number one then? So I don't know. Who is at number one, Carlos? (laughs) At (laughs) number one then, it is the uh, airline of choice first, or for Sir Nev. It's obviously going to be British Airways. Okay, of course. Yes, absolutely. So we'll move swiftly on then. Let's go. Let's turn the tables then. What is the worst airlines as voted by passengers? In at number five, please, Mark. That's Iberia. Ooh, Spanish carrier. Oh, really? Number four. Oh, it's one of Jenny from Rome's favourites. It's Alitalia. Oh, climb three places. It's number three. I don't know whether it's pronounced L-O-T or lot. Polish airline. Polish that one. one. Polish yeah. airline. It is not quite at the top. It's number two. 
Number two, it's Air Berlin. Oh, dear. And officially the worst airline ever. It is number <laughs> one. <laughs> well, I sense a theme with those last two. these last two. It's German wings. Ooh. Ooh. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Oh, the Germans will not be pleased about that. That, that, is, a, that is a given. So, uh, yes, yeah, so that's, a, that's an unusual... And this is voted for by passengers, is it's it? It's research from software firm Clara Bridge. This is a passenger satisfaction okay. uh, survey. Did you yeah. like my fate that that was really like smooth? That. It was really it? good. Yeah. <laughs> so they had, apparently, <laughs> according to this uh, the, this little article, they studied um, a study of two thousand four hundred ninety one people. Okay, um, said that their complaints were ignored. Oh, well, that's, Ooh, that's not good. Um, that is but, not uh, good at all. But, but no, there we go. I mean, uh, we, I think we've flown on. One of us have flown on one of those airlines at some point in time. But yes. I mean, they, they must have done this survey before. Yeah. Before well, before two weeks ago. Yeah, I, I can only <laughs> with, assume uh, with yeah. Ryanair being in fourth place. <laughs> yeah, of the best. That, that's of the, the best. one that sort of takes me a little bit by surprise. Uh, it but does seem to be a European theme to all the airlines, and it, reading above, it does say that it was a ranking of sixteen airlines. So it looks like they only looked at sixteen airlines right. in total. <laughs> Okay, right. So it's not the most uh, concise uh, survey, but never mind. We do like a top ten, uh, or a however, five. Or, or, or a, five. a top five. Well, it's, yeah. it's a top ten, isn't it? Because it was half and half. Ish, but, yeah, you know, half and half. I'll, I'll give you that. You can have that but, one. But yeah. Nev, Nev, rest assured, he's at these AV awards now. He is. He's very yep. happy yep. that BA were in the top spot. He will be delighted, I'm sure. We, yeah. I shall, I shall ping him a communication uh, forthwith <laughs> with it without hate as he, we he move got on. The show to, notes as well. Uh, so oh, he, did he? Right. Okay. He'll have read them, unlike me. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I bet. I tell you what. I bet you Nev read his show notes for the for tonight's show. Oh, and I he's, not, say, even and he's here. not even. No, I know. I know. I'm rubbish. Mm. Yeah. yeah. It's more to make sure that I'm including the right segment. That's that's more yeah. what it'll have been about. Anyway, uh, on that subject matter, I think actually we're uh, got a segment from Pip. We are. We're going with that. Are we? Sir? Yeah. Yes. Okay. You didn't read your show notes. No, obviously. I didn't. No. Yeah. Oh, we've, we've, we've covered this in Mark, great length. Do you want a job? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, you can have one. <laughs> so we, so we have got uh, coming up. The travel to uh, Norfolk would be a bit beyond my normal means. Ooh, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but you do live in a very, very nice part of the yeah, country. Absolutely. Though, no, it's all right. It's fine, Mark. We'll come and we'll come. We'll move there. It's fine. Yeah, we'll bring the yeah. studio to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. you're most welcome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, coming up now, then we have got a very, very good, uh, very amazing segment from Pilot Always. Pip. He's really yeah. pulled the uh, mm. pulled the uh, rabbit out of the bu- the bunny out of the hat. There I we know. go, bunny I out of the hat. And it arrived a day early and everything. A day early. I know. Pip, he sent this segment in <laughs> yesterday. yesterday. I know. I had time to render it and everything. <laughs> it's amazing. So uh, Pip's uh, going to be talking about uh, obviously the hawker yep. and uh, and flying in Russia. So we're going to bring that to you right now. Plane safety from the flight deck with Pilot Pip. Hi everyone, it's Pip here. Well, my time on the Hawker is drawing to an end. I'm here on my very last tour on the Hawker, and in fact tomorrow will be my last few flights. Got three short flights around the UK scheduled, and then that will be it. My time on the Hawker will be done. Such a shame. But it's been a really fun last tour, actually. We've done some really good trips, some classic Hawker flights, uh, some nice long flights. We did five hours yesterday from Batumi to London. Yeah, Batumi. I'll let you figure out where that is. Go look on a map because I had to look it up as well. But these are the trips I love. The Hawker's got such a great range. It's so versatile. We can fill the thing up with fuel and passengers, and off we go, two and a half thousand miles easy. For a little aeroplane, that's pretty good. 
So I will miss the uh, aircraft terribly. But I'm, you know, I'm getting excited for the new one. I've been reading up. I've been studying. It looks pretty swanky. It's got some clever avionics and a nice coffee machine, as I said before. But also this tour, uh, I've been to Moscow a couple of times. And, you know, when we see Moscow or somewhere in Russia come up on our schedule, we usually roll our eyes and go, ugh, not Russia. And that's not fair at all, because actually it's it's great. It's fun going to Russia. Uh, it's different. I'll give it that. It is a little bit different. They've got some different procedures and some different ways of doing things. And it's really our own ignorances and, and prejudices that perhaps make it slightly more of a chore than it needs be. But I thought I'd take this opportunity, as is my last time going to Russia for certainly quite a while, I thought I'd talk a little bit about Russia operations. Because on the new aircraft, on the Embraer, uh, we won't be going to Russia at all. I got just yesterday my invitation to renew my Russian visa. For Brits, we have to, as an annual process, we have to renew our Russian visa every year. So I got a an email from the embassy saying, your visa is due. So I emailed straight away my would-be new fleet manager. I said, hey, Roger, for tis his name. I said, hey, Roger. Uh, should I bother renewing my Russian visa? Am I going to need it? And he immediately wrote back and said, nah, save yourself the hassle. We, or you will not be going to Russia on the new jet. And actually, I find that a little bit sad. I do enjoy going to Moscow and St. Petersburg and some of those weird and wacky out-of-the-way places you've never heard of. And there are many of them because, of course, Russia is absolutely flipping enormous. Uh, there are so many wonderful places to go. Uh, Krasnodar, we were in the other day. You know, St. Petersburg, there's Chelyabinsk, there's Yekaterinburg. There's so many places. But as I say, it is a little bit different flying there. Um, and one of the biggest challenges is, of course, language. Uh, Russian and English really aren't similar at all. And, you know, to look at road signs and things like that, it's really quite a difficult task to translate because of these of course, they use a, a totally different alphabet. You know, if you're in France or Germany or Italy somewhere, you can at least have a stab at translating it because you recognize the letters uh, in Russian with a Cyrillic alphabet. It's totally different. And English isn't particularly widely spoken. Of course, English is still the international language of aviation. And as air traffic controllers and uh, aviation workers, you know, English is widely spoken, but with quite a wide range of ability i would say generally the moscow air traffic controllers are all great they speak fluent english of course but it can be very heavily accented and it's not that's in itself isn't a problem you know um, go to france and they'll speak with a heavy french accent or go to italy speak with a heavy italian accent go to america and they speak with just a weird accent i can't understand a word they say over there but at least we're very used to those accents and you, you know, you learn, you get an ear for them over time. With a bit of practice, you get better at it. But Russian's not a language and an accent we hear all that often. So it can be a little more difficult to become accustomed to the Russian accent. So that's, that's just a small challenge from that point of view is transmitting instructions and, and understanding what they're saying back to you so the best thing there is to be as standard as possible you know just use standard words descent climb speed all that sort of stuff if you need to ask for something a little bit out of the ordinary then that's where it can potentially start to become a little bit different 
Uh, but that really comes into play when you get on the ground and you're having to interact with airport workers, you know, ramp workers, refuelers, uh, the dreaded security people, good Lord. Then language is a bit of a problem, I'll be honest. Now, you could say and you could argue that for someone like me who's going to Russia regularly that I should stop being so damn lazy being a typical lazy Brit and learn a bit of Russian and uh, that would be an entirely proper good argument to make I probably should after all these years 10 years I should have learned a little bit of Russian as it is I don't think I can say anything other than thank you and hello now one of the main differences when it comes to flying procedures is the fact that over there they're metric they use meters whereas we use feet they use meters and you could again roll your eyes and say oh those pesky Russians why are they being so difficult and using meters well actually believe it or not they're correct and we're wrong it was agreed a long time ago at ICAO level that the standard unit of measurements would be the meter ICAO agreed that the metric system would be the standard used. Uh, it's just that, for whatever reason, us, the Americans and everyone else, we were just too damn lazy to do anything about it. So actually, the Russians are entirely correct to be using the metric system. But in fact, they are converting to feet, and that process is almost now complete. Back when I started flying into Russia regularly, uh, when you got to the Russian border, you'd be at a flight level in feet, let's say 40,000 feet or flight level 400. And just before you got to the border, you would have to adjust to a metric flight level. So perhaps 13,000 meters, for instance. But actually, a couple of years ago, that disappeared. So now, at the higher levels, above what we call transition altitude, it's actually all in feet. And you don't switch to metric until much later on in the approach when you get closer to the ground and pass below the transition level. So now you'll stay on feet until you're down all the way towards the ground. I think transition level in the Moscow area is around about uh, 6,000 feet or so. And then below that, as you descend to an altitude, you'll then have to convert to feet. And, you know, that's not a big problem. In the Hawker, it's just a matter of a couple of uh, buttons to push. You hit a button called the refs which brings up the references page. You do a bit of knob twiddling, you twiddle your knob and go down to a little selection where you can choose feet or metric as a lot of knob twiddling goes on in the Hawker especially on those five-hour trips. So you convert to meters and the, you'll then be flying heights in meters and I emphasize the word heights because as well as being metric they also fly on QFE over in Russia. And generally in the Western world, um, perhaps the military a bit of an exception, but generally we fly on QNH, which is altitude measured above sea level, whereas QFE is height measured above the ground. Now, I'm not going to go into a lengthy discussion about the difference between the two, but in Moscow, they use QFE, which again, isn't a big problem, but you do need to bear it in mind because there's a, a couple of implications there for things like Oh, I don't know, eGPWS systems, you need to have an awareness of, of the difference between the QFE and the QNH. Now, if you're flying an older aircraft that doesn't have fancy electronics, then you're having to make these conversions using paper charts and tables. And mm, that can be fraught with a, a little bit of danger, I suppose, if you're not uh, very much paying attention. It would be quite easy to end up in a situation where you're much lower, for instance, than you think you are. So you end up flying a height in meters as you approach 
one of the three uh, Moscow airports. It's generally Moscow we're going to. And uh, they've got three main airports there. They've got Sheremetyevo, they've got Domodedovo, and Nukovo. Uh, Nukovo is the one we generally use more than the other two, but, you know, we go to all of them. There's a few other airports dotted around as well, the Moscow area. And typically in Russia, they tend to bring you in on quite a short final. So you'll come down quite low, quite early. So it's quite important to start configuring quite early because if you're not really on the ball, you'll suddenly find yourself on a four or five mile final at quite a high speed if you haven't started to, to configure early. And also that because you're so much closer to the ground, typically you're coming in at maybe a 1500 feet or 2000 feet when you pick up the ILS. The, uh, because you're closer to the ground, you get a definite sensation of moving faster. I mean, you're not really, it's just a, a sense of perspective. But it does seem to have a, um, a sort of psychological effect if you perceive everything to be happening much faster around you. <laughs> and of course, one of the other fun things of the Moscow area is the airports all have so many different arrivals to them, which take you to the same runway. There's pages and pages of arrivals and half the fun of it is going through and trying to work out which one it is you're going to get and you can absolutely guarantee whichever one you finally decide on it'll be the other one. So you come in, you eventually come round, hopefully you've got yourself sorted, you're pooping a pile as Nick would say, get yourself slowed down and you end up on the ILS and you will always get the obligatory clear to land, good luck. I don't know why they feel the need to say good luck with every landing clearance, but they do it. Maybe they know something we don't. And then, hopefully, if you can see the runway, you'll land on it. Uh, and I say hopefully if you can see the runway because Moscow or Russian winters are severe. That's one of the other big challenges of flying in Russia and in Moscow is the weather. It can be pretty damned tricky. Now, I was there just yesterday. Uh, late September and the temperature already is dropped to mm, four or five degrees Celsius in the evening so it's quite chilly and I'm certain it's only a matter of a few weeks before the first snows arrive and when they do they are there for the long term uh, there's always snow in Moscow over the winter always 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 you can guarantee it and lots of it as well and all sorts of other winter hazards like freezing fog freezing rain which is particularly nasty stuff you don't want to get caught in freezing rain it will put ice all over your aircraft very quickly which is a, a dangerous thing potentially uh, low visibilities blowing snow it can be tricky and of course uh, slippery runways are something we really have to think about very carefully in Moscow they have slightly different ways of measuring braking coefficients there so you have to uh, be mindful of that. They'll give you a braking coefficient, much as they do over here, but you, you need to remember they're using a, a different scale. And often the braking coefficient that they give you over the radio bears no relation to the actual braking coefficient. I've, uh, on several occasions, landed there where the braking action was supposedly good, uh, only to touch down and go skidding along the runway sideways. Well, I exaggerate a little bit, but you can certainly feel the aircraft skidding around underneath you as you try and gently apply the brakes. But by and large, flying's the easy bit. Flying in and out of Moscow, yeah, that's okay, there's some challenges, but that's the, the easier bit. The real challenge, actually, 
comes on the ground. There are endless, endless forms to be signed. Bureaucracy is rife in Russia, um, you know, because of the, the way their states developed, I suppose, a communist government. There were jobs for everybody. And, uh, you know, everyone has something to do. There's, you know, you go out into Moscow and you'll see whole gangs of people just sweeping streets or painting fences. You know, unemployment is probably around zero. And so it is at the airport. You've got guys just wandering around with forms and they come along, give you a form, and it's all in Russian. You've absolutely no idea what it says. And they say, here, sign. And you say, hey, what's this form for? And their standard answer is, security, security. Oh, another security form. Okay, so you sign it. I've no idea what it is I'm signing. But after 10 years, no one's come and put me in prison or kidnapped my family or anything. So I'm assuming it's probably okay. And they're very hot on customs and immigration there. Uh, you know, if you arrive without a valid visa, oof, you are in for an ordeal. And I've done that once. Uh, you know, occasionally we just don't have a choice. We go there and we haven't got a valid visa. That's a, like a two or a, at least a three hour process of going around to the visa office and having a temporary visa issued. It's a nightmare. But you land there and you're not really allowed to open the door until the customs and immigration people come to the aircraft. And you recognize these because these are the people with enormous silly hats. Something in Russia about wearing a, a big hat. The bigger your hat, the more important you are, I think. So the customs people come out, open the door, passports is the first thing they'll say, passports, <laughs> not hello, welcome to Russia. It's just part of their job, I think. They're, they're genuinely very friendly, warm people. Although I must say, Moscow does seem to have a, a harsher outlook on life. Um, if I can put it that way. You know, you go to other cities, go to Katrinburg or Krasnodar or St. Petersburg, and people there are generally much livelier and happier, and, and somehow the places have a, a bit more colour. Moscow seems to be a bit more edgy. It's quite sort of grey in its attitude. People, at first appearances anyway, are just a little bit harsher or a bit less friendly than you, you might hope for. But I'm sure it's only a facade. But eventually, if all's well... If they like the look of your face and there's no problems with your passport, then you'll eventually be uh, let off the aircraft. Your passengers can get off and you eventually can get off as well. And you go through and at some point later in the process, they'll hand you back your passport with a little white bit of paper in it, which you must not lose. If you lose that bit of paper, you are done for. You won't get into a hotel and they certainly won't let you back out again. So protect that little bit of paper. Top tip for all those people who are thinking about visiting the Soccer World Cup there next summer. Uh, plan your trip well in advance. Get your visa sorted. Get everything arranged because uh, if something takes a week here, it's going to take a month over there. So once you get out of the airport, then you're faced with, for me, the absolute worst bits about going to Russia. The rest of it's fine, but this is what I genuinely hate about having to, to visit Moscow at least. It's the traffic on the roads. My God, they can do a traffic jam like no one else in the world. Whew, and I've seen some traffic jams in my time, but um, Moscow loves a good traffic jam. Uh, of course, if it's winter and the weather is foul and snowing, and if there's been an accident or something, then the roads are just chocker. Moscow's surrounded by, uh, uh, I think, about two, maybe even three big ring roads, a bit like the M25 here 
in the UK, but they are just jammed. I have spent no word of a lie before. In fact, several times I've spent four to five hours sat in traffic just to do a journey of uh, not so many miles into the centre of town for to get to the hotel. But of course, once you get to the hotel, once you're in town, then it's great. Um, Moscow's a lovely city. It's a huge city. Ten million people live there. It's a big city. It's very different to look at from London or Barcelona or Miami or somewhere else. You know, you can see the, a lot of history. You can see the evolution from the you know communist governments. Uh, lots of high-rise buildings. Very wide streets is very typical of, of Russian and Eastern European cities. It's very wide streets with uh, very wide pavements or sidewalks. Um, but beautiful, you know, go to the Kremlin and uh, the churches and things around there. It's gorgeous. The one thing I, I never got to do and I really regret uh, not doing is going to the Space Museum in Moscow. Uh, there's this lovely big statue that we drive past often on the way to the hotel. Great big plinth and at the top of it, looking very proud and, and strong, is a statue of uh, Yuri Gagarin, the first human in space. And they've got a great space museum there uh, and you can see all the fascinating um, things they've sent up into space. You know, Russia really for many, many years were the leaders in space exploration in the space race i mean really they won the space race you know the americans got to the moon first but all the other firsts all of them were all russia first man in space first spaceship in space first satellite first woman first black person in space uh, i think it was a cuban a russian cuban um what else first animal did i say that they if there was a first they did it and of course still they're great leaders in in space technology. In fact, if you want to go to space right now, today, then Russia is the only country with the capability to launch astronauts into space with their Soyuz rockets. Since NASA discontinued the shuttle, uh, well, quite some years ago now, then the Russians are the only kids on the block able to do it. So maybe another day I'll get a chance to go back and, and visit the Space Museum. But, uh, wow, listen, I've been rambling for 20 minutes. I think that's enough about that. Um, so I'll, I'll miss Russia. I'm genuinely sad that I won't be going there again uh, for quite a while. So I'm going to finish this segment by, in my best Russian, saying Prosaya Russia, evidit nova. Catch you all next time, folks. Oh, I didn't understand a word of that. <laughs> I, I think he was saying, do you want to go out for a beer? Oh, okay, yeah, right, okay. I mean. <laughs> a, yeah, my Russian is really rusty as he does a completely... Anyway, bless. Anyway, but no, <laughs> that was absolutely brilliant, Pip. Yeah. Uh, uh, mega, yeah. thank you very much for sending that in. That yeah. was really, really good. So we're going to welcome onto the show then our guest for this evening, Mark Harvey. Welcome onto the show and thanks for joining us. Thank you very much for the invite. It's great fun. Great. So, Mark, you've uh, you've uh, hopefully you've been listening to the show for uh, for some time. When when did, when did you start listening to uh, to the this drivel we put each week, as Matt calls it? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, uh, I think it was around about two and a half years ago. Wow. Really? Blimey! <laughs> you really have been <laughs> suffering. Uh, is, is it in, is it uh, uh, a particularly bad case of insomnia? I mean, what, what's the? <laughs> Come on, Mark. How no, did, how I, did you I find love us? all the aviation uh, and this uh, airline uh, airline geeks and a couple of others uh, are on my phone and they make my journey to work and home again much more enjoyable than listening to the radio which gets a bit boring 
Yeah, do you know what? I mean, that's something that's happening more and more, isn't it? More and more people are actually uh, uh, listening to podcasts in their car. I suppose as more, you know, cars yeah. tend to have the ability for you to play MP3s and things like that. So it's no different to, to dumping something into your playlist. What are you laughing at? No, I'm just reading the chat room <laughs> okay, comments. Right, yeah. Okay. No, it's it's nice to know that you do do listen to yeah, the show, obviously. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, have, you got, uh, have you got the ABG syndrome as well? Um, I tried listening to that and uh, it's very good, but my commute is only half an hour ah, right. each way. <laughs> so okay, yeah, yeah. if I listen to that as well, yes. I just fall further and further, further behind. behind. Oh. Yes, that's a fair point. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's uh, especially after today. I think was it three and a half hours. Three and a half hour long show. Yeah. Well, well, well. Mind done. you, we've got no room to talk. We hit a, a new record we a few did, weeks actually, back with yeah. two and a half yeah, hours. Yeah, we did. So two we're, and a half hour long. You know, shows. we try and keep it under two hours if we can. I know. I know. <laughs> but, so, so Mark, you uh, you do obviously aviation photography. So how many years you've been doing that? Uh, well, quite some time. I, um, I used to go to the uh, St. Morgan Air Show uh, or International Air Day uh, near Newquay. Uh, that hasn't been run for quite some time now, but I've got some photos on my uh, film camera of the Vulcan, uh, the Mosquito, and aircraft like that. And it's amazing that, you know, on a roll of 36 shots, you've got about 30 good shots, whereas now you'll go to an air show with a digital camera with, and take something like 1,500 shots yes, and probably course, get yeah. about, about the same. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. 30 good shots. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I suppose at least this time you're not. Um, I suppose nowadays, as as the technology has moved on, of course, you're 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 not really wasting developing time on on shots that are no good, if you like. So mm. you can pick out the best ones and you know make a little tweak or whatever before you you dump it out. I mean, it really has um, revolutionised the way that photography is done. You know, the the, the digital age. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but the only thing I was thinking about it the other day, it used to be okay. It was a lot more expensive. Yeah. But you used to take your film, you used to take it in to be processed. Mm. They came back with the photos. You could then choose what you wanted. You sent it off to be enlarged. Yeah. They did it all for you. Right. Or unless you had your own darkroom, which was prohibitively also good expensive. Fun. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but very good fun at times. Yeah. Um, but now you've got 1,500 shots to go through on the computer yourself. And it just can be quite daunting at times coming back from an air show with that many photos yes, uh, and having to sit just sit down and go through it which is yeah. why i've got probably about three years worth of photos to go back through at some point yes we we have a photographer that's just opposite me who's doing no, exactly not, the same I, I'm thing i'm just a novice yes. i'm a novice <laughs> compared to mark well blimey. That's, no that's true but how i mean for, for for people like me the novice out here obviously we have got a few professional photographers in the chat room mr warner and mr well, anderson indeed. um how how easy is aviation photography as opposed to just normal you know taking a picture of a a cat or a dog uh it's around about the same each has each genre of photography has its own challenges um aviation depending on what you're photographing can have can be fairly easy or you can have make it as hard as you like Uh, if you're just taking a picture of a static aircraft um it's no problem at all if you're taking an aircraft flying past you then a bit of practice with panning the camera to uh, keep the motion with it uh, and you can get a good shot and if it's a propeller uh, driven plane then uh, you need to slow the shutter down and that becomes more of a challenge but it's just holding the camera steady Uh, other 
genres like as you say with the pet photography and i know that there's somebody that uh, listens to the show and is sometimes on the show that is very very good at that you've got something that can't take direction very easily um and you have to get a fantastic shot um with something that's a lot less predictable than an aircraft yeah and an aircraft you know you can see where it's pointing you know where it's going to go uh, whereas with a dog or a cat or something like that, it can take it into its head to sort of dash off at uh, a different direction. So uh, each genre has its uh, own challenges. Uh, going back to what we were talking about earlier, actually, Jonathan Warner was just saying, can you imagine the cost of developing uh, after he took 9,500 shots at Fairford this year? I mean, that's, <laughs> that, that, is a, that is a genuine sort of concern, I think. But is it because people are, I suppose, because it isn't as expensive as it used to be and you, you can look at them beforehand, as you say, you are running off multiple shots in the hope that you do get that one that, that, one. that is the, mm. the, the perfect one that's perfectly in focus and, um, you know, the exposure is right and all that kind of thing i mean is it is that something that sort of takes um a lot of practice or is it all about um uh you know knowing your camera essentially knowing the camera is a big part of it uh and the modern cameras are very very good particularly with the focus and their autofocus Mm. the cameras are great you you also have to have a good eye for the picture as well yeah you have to have the uh you have to see what's coming and see what's uh what's going to look good yeah that is true. Uh, so you, you've got to have the tools, but you've also got to be able to see it as well. You, yes, you've almost got to sort of see the picture in advance. You've got to, you've got to know what you're trying to, to pull off, I suppose, essentially, before you, um, before you sort of line up that shot and take it. But, uh, mm. So what, what is the uh, camera of choice then? Because obviously we've got people who prefer Nikon, people who prefer Canon, people who prefer Sony, uh, and there are other ma- makes and brands of cameras, digital DSLR cameras out there. What, uh, what is your chosen weapon, I should say? Uh, my my brand is the the Canon. Good man, good man. Uh, <laughs> but as I always say to anybody that is talking about it, it's whatever suits you the best, most particularly what your friends have got. Yeah. Because they're the ones that you can ask for help. True. And yeah. you can ask to borrow their kit as well. <laughs> that's true. If you've run out of a battery or something like that, or if, loss. or if yeah. yours broke before <laughs> well, react. That's true. Yeah, Mister Warner. True. Yes, indeed. Yeah. So, uh, so Canon, then. So, uh, any particular sort of? Uh, I mean, you know, I think I've, I've got a seven fifty and a six hundred D. I think I've got at the minute uh, for my choice. But uh, any any particular brand you can recommend to someone who uh, wants to take good aviation photography? Um, they're all good. It depends a little bit on what you want to do, and the more you spend, the better the camera is going to be. It's probably better actually to spend more money on the lenses. Mm. Uh, particularly on the, the telephotos and telephoto zooms, because the more money you spend on quality lenses, the better the images you get in the camera. Uh, and, and a lens will outlast the, the camera body. Mm. Although you say that, but I know Carlos had a problem recently, didn't you, where it was actually the camera, if you don't use the right camera lens with the right camera, oh, yeah. you do actually yeah. get, you, you lose a lot of functionality, don't you? you, you well, a little bit, yeah. yeah. Bit, that was with, um, I've got a Canon uh, camera, uh, mm. 750D, yeah. and I've got a Sigma lens, a 150x500 Sigma lens. Obviously, Sigma's the, uh, the, the lens that's quarter of the price of a Canon lens right. of the similar similar kind of uh, size quality sort of thing um, but it's it's, it's it, when you put it on it, it kind of mm. loses a couple of uh, functionalities that you'd normally get with uh, a Canon lens but 
I mean, do you, yourself, have you got Canon lenses or do you uh, have you used a Sigma lens? Uh, I've used both. I've got uh, my main camera. I've got the Canon 70 to 300 L lens. So that's the uh, top end lens. Uh, I was left a little bit of money uh, a little while back, uh, and I invested it in the in the camera and the lens, uh, and that's got to last me for a very long time now. <laughs> yeah, uh, but uh, I've I've also got a Sigma. Well, I've got two Sigma lenses um, that I find very useful and and do a very good job. Tony S in the chat room is actually asking a question. Have you got any tips for anyone wanting to do aviation videography? <laughs> I've not done videography myself. Again, it's just a case of uh, knowing your subject and knowing your equipment. Mm. Um, knowing the zoom and being able to sort of keep the subject in the frame is going to be the most important, I would think. Yeah. I mean, I always, I always thought when, when obviously, when we did uh, the couple of air shows this year, and it's the first time that I've actually ended up operating the camera, especially when we were at Old Buck, because it was just me and Owen there yeah. on our own on the Saturday, and it's incredibly difficult. I, I mean, I, I have so much respect for people <laughs> that do it. To, 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 well, I mean, like the photography as well. I mean, I've always been a bit sniffy about Carlos and his photographs, but it's all you know because they always look so. I mean, they always look so nice that that actually, and, and like, and again with Mark, and I say the same with Dan and, and Jonathan's photos and, and all that kind of thing you lot make it all look so damn easy no, that's, that's what <laughs> I just get lucky with the odd <laughs> this shot this is it it's just like it's uh, like trying to follow aircraft in, in, in the sky and that is one of the most difficult things I've ever done mm. never mind this you know building systems that enable us to broadcast live anywhere in the, in the middle of a field that's easy peasy in comparison to doing these photographs I tell do, you do you find it, it helps to have a good tripod as well when you're taking uh, aviation trials to be honest i don't use a tripod <gasps> for that wow. because i'm panning with the aircraft i find it easier to hand hold mm. okay yeah it, it is so 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 how did this all come about then mark i mean what what uh, had you always been interested in photography or was it the love of aviation and then and then you sort of developed uh, a love for it how, how did the two marry up and become one essentially the two developed, pardon the pun, uh, sort of in <laughs> parallel. Um, I've, my father was a very good photographer, a very keen photographer, and got me very involved in it um, and had some friends that spent some time helping me, um, one of whom was a, a, used to teach photography in London and used to teach the darkroom techniques. Wow. Uh, developing in London and he would teach me uh, he would spend time and come down and, and help me and teach me how to do the, the black and white developing and even colour um, at home uh, and that was fantastic um, and, and the, the aviation side um, I actually was born and I spent my early years in Southend uh, and right by Southend Airport, as it is known now, London Southend. Yeah, of course, absolutely, <laughs> yes. Um, but at that, that time, uh, and I have to admit to being slightly older than the two of you, uh, that was when they were making the Carvair out of the, the old DC, I believe it was the DC-6s, um, which would be used for ferrying people with their cars across the channel. And they were doing that at Southend. So I would see those in the uh, as we were driving past, 
they had a, a large number of uh, small general aviation aircraft there as well, which were quite interesting. They also had a very, very good museum, uh, aviation museum, uh, and that's somewhere I was used to like to go. It didn't go as much as I would have liked. Um, everybody wanted to do other things in the family, but I went there as much as I could uh, and used to get to wander around some of the aircraft. But the big thing about there was some of them, uh, and one in particular, was open and you could go inside and you could climb over it. And so I've spent uh, many a day uh, happily climbing over a Blackburn Beverly, mm-hmm. which is a large cargo plane uh, used by the RAF. Um, it's uh, quite ugly, but it, is, yeah. <laughs> it holds yeah. a very, very fond space in my memories of sort of climbing up inside it, sitting in the pilot seat, pretending to fly it when I was about eight, nine, ten years old. Uh, and that has helped develop my passion for aviation. When we moved down to Cornwall, we were near uh, RAF St. Morgan, which is now Newquay Airport. Uh, and we had the, as it was then, the Nimrods and the Canberras uh, flying out from there and always had the St. Morgan Air Show, which was absolutely fantastic. So when you're attending air shows and that, have you? do you get to attend, obviously, because you live well, in the, in the back end of nowhere, a bit like me and Matt here in the east of England. But do you get to attend any of the big air shows like Farnborough and Riyadh each year? I've not managed Farnborough yet. I'm hoping to. That's uh, that's on the wish list for next year. Uh, I managed to uh, attend Riyadh one year. Uh, I've tended to do those based in the southwest a bit more, mm. uh, which is the um, Caldrose Air Day, which unfortunately they didn't hold this year and uh, the Yeovilton Air Day, which, of course, both of those are the Navy air shows, um, and both very, very good. So I mean, I've been going through some of the photographs that uh, that's on your website, and frankly, they're absolutely gorgeous. Out of all of the Thank you. aircraft uh, that you've f- photographed, is there one particular shot that is really memorable for you? Is like, yeah, that, that was... That was you know, the, the, I don't know, the shot that means the most to you, that you're most proud of? Um, I, I think there's it, a couple of them. They're, they're not on the, the website yet. I'm working on them, ah. uh, putting them up there. Um, but uh, it was a reason I was at the Caldro's Air Day a couple of years back, uh, and I actually had to leave early. Um, but I didn't leave in the normal way. Oh. Um, I actually left sitting in the back of a short sky van (laughs) down the runway with the back door wide open, sitting in a seat strapped fully in so it was all safe, looking out of that back door. Uh, And then we poodled off over South Cornwall over to Falmouth and we just flew around in circles for a little while until something turned up. Wow. Uh, and what had been arranged, and uh, I don't know if you've got the uh, the camera on at the moment, was the Sea Vixen. Oh, Sea Vixen, yeah. Okay. Yeah, oh, yeah. Wow. I've, I've, I've similar. There's actually one of those over at uh, the Malta Aviation Museum. Is there? Malta. That was the one that had been arranged that we would see. Wow. Um, and while we were waiting for that to arrive, they'd actually arranged a bonus. Oh, now. Um, this is what most people, the Sea Vixen was what I really wanted to go and see. Yeah. But I could not complain when they arranged for the Sea Fire. Oh, wow. To turn up. wow. Look at that. That's amazing. Uh, and the absolute <laughs> holy grail, according to some photographers, 
is to get a sharp picture uh, to wear with a full disc of the propeller. Yes, of yeah, course. Yeah, really yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, which that is, is something dream. I actually managed to achieve with the yeah. Pendennis Castle in the background there. Fantastic. Which, uh, so Jonathan Warner's rather pleased, pleased about that yeah, in the absolutely. chat room. So, uh, yeah. yeah, obviously, guys, um, there we, for those of you listening on the audio thing, I will put, uh, if Mark is okay with that, I will just put a couple of screen grabs from uh, what we've done. What I will do is I will email those up to you, Matt. Okay. Lovely. All right, and we'll just put uh, uh, just low res. I don't want anything too fancy. Just just low res because I just like they are honestly they're such stunning pictures. I'd like people who if people who are listening to the audio version of the show uh, get a chance, they really need to have a look at some of these pictures. Or can are they on your website at all? Uh, those two aren't yet, but no, they will okay. be very soon. So, uh, well, well we, we may as well, as we're, we've mentioned the subject, let's let's talk about your your lovely website. Yeah, tell want. us tell us about the website, Mark. Um, well. Uh, a few years back, I went to uh, an air-to-air academy organised by the Aviation Photo Crew, um, which is why I had the opportunity at Coldrose to fly with them uh, and take those shots. Um, and leading on from that, I thought I need to, somewhere to sort of put my aviation photography, photography that's not my normal website. Yeah. Uh, so I built uh, leadingedgephotography.co.uk. Uh, and I just let it sit there for a while. I've been doing little bits to it, uh, but then I thought I really need to do something with it, uh, and it's had a major redesign and a, a lot of work put on it in the last uh, week or so, uh, and then last week it went live with the new design, um, and one thing that I'll announce on here um, is I do a screen to, or a calendar wallpaper for the computers in various uh, sizes, hopefully that uh, most people will be able to use. Uh, put a new one up each month, and the October one is now live on my site, and I'm announcing that on here oh, wow. uh, before I put it out on Twitter or Facebook or anything else like that. So, wow. Uh, wow. Very cool. Thank you. So, uh, and there's a, there's a link to my previous recordings that I sent in because it was actually a photograph of one of the gazelles from the gazelle squadron who I spoke to at Bryce Norton, uh, when they arrived at Caldro's Air Day a couple of years back. I have to say, Mark, one of my favourite ones of your wallpapers, your monthly wallpaper posts, is uh, is definitely uh, June's uh, wallpaper, uh, which is the, uh, the, the Breitling Super Constellation. Oh, yes, she's beautiful. Oh, yeah. That was over at the Sanicole Air Show in Belgium, um, which is a fantastic thing. That's where the uh, Air to Air Academy took place. Uh, the Connie is definitely one of my favourite, mm. um, one of my favourite piston aircraft for sure. Absolutely iconic. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Love it. What a great idea! I like I that having the the wallpaper thing with a little cat. That's a brilliant, brilliant idea. Um, yeah, you'll have you'll have to do a calendar. Can, perhaps we can have. <laughs> I'll have a, I'll have a calendar on the wall. At yeah, work. absolutely. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but, um, so, yeah, well, that's that's really that is that is really really exciting. It's uh, so. What are the future plans anyway, uh, Mark? What is there anything you've got uh, planned? Uh, uh, for the future, for your for the photography side of things, are you just going to attend more and more air shows? I'm going to try and attend a couple of air shows next year. Um, take as many shots as I can. Uh, I want to try and get up to a couple of the local uh, airfields as well. Uh, try and get to know some of the pilots and sort of take some photos of just the general aviation aircraft coming and going. 
uh, and possibly even talk one or two of them into taking me up if they poss- might be so inclined. Very good idea. Yes, I like that. Yes, have a very good idea. We have got. We have actually later on before we finish the show, we've got some news coming up of uh, a certain meetup actually that's happening have, yeah. next month. So uh, that's going to come up later. But we have uh, got uh, coming up for you next uh, a segment from Nev. I mean, okay. he's not here. He is, as we said, he's at uh, an AV. Um, night somewhere in in Londinium Londinium somewhere but uh, Nev has been working tirelessly as always putting together segments for us and sent one in for us this week and uh, well we return to basically turning left turning left for for less Hello, it's Nev here with another in the series of Nev's Passenger Experience. If you were listening a few weeks ago, you may remember me speaking with Michelle Robson, who writes a blog called Turning Left for Less, which she describes as champagne travel on a Prosecco budget, and I really enjoyed chatting with her about that. We also spoke about the general levels of passenger experience in the air and some of the difficulties that airlines are experiencing trying to satisfy their ever-demanding clients. I began by asking Michelle where she thought the main areas were that the airlines needed to improve and focus on. I think it's an interesting time for passengers, uh, particularly on the economy side. They're getting more and more squeezed in terms of room, having to pay for extras. But then conversely, they're getting cheap fares. So you can't kind of have your cake and eat it. In terms of business class, I actually think it's a good time um, There's a lot more new business class seats coming out. There's the Qatar Q suites have just come out. Business class is getting better and better. And at the moment, the fares aren't actually rising um, to accommodate that, which is a good time. But I think ultimately, in the long term, that will change. We've had a lot of uh, comments uh, during these interviews that I've been doing about British Airways, uh, especially in the economy section. Uh, Have you experienced any of that recently? Uh, Yes, I have. I've flown on British Airways a couple of times in economy since the change came in and actually a couple of times, well, more than a couple of times in Club Europe where they've actually done the opposite and improved it in general. Um, In economy, I personally think they've made a big mistake in their strategy. I understand what they're trying to do. They're trying to compete with EasyJet and Ryanair. But personally, I think they should have tried to be a bit different. It's interesting, everyone you speak to says about the food, they don't actually really care about food. And BA had identified that correctly, but unfortunately they then went the step too far and took away the free drinks as well. Um, One of my favourite low-cost airlines is actually in America, it's called Southwest, and to me they've got the perfect model. You pay a reasonably cheap fare, it's not as cheap as sort of the equivalent of Ryanair, but you get a free soft drink, you get a packet of nuts or crisps, and you get two free bags as well. That, to me, would make me always fly with them over someone that was a little bit cheaper because it's a more pleasant experience. And that was the niche I think BA should have gone for, and I just think they've missed the mark completely. be interesting to see if it affects their figures long term. Yeah, I think the whole strategy is flawed myself, because at least with Southwest and other airlines you've mentioned as well in the past um you, you know what you're getting before you get on and you can't really complain about it because you, you the service is uh, exactly as they say that it's going to be but ba has been extremely variable uh, recently i have to say i find that the cabin crew are definitely variable they have two fleets they've got the um legacy fleet and they've also got the newer crew that obviously have been in the news recently with the strikes and i find there's a, a very variable service and i think they need to do something about that you never quite know what you're going to get sometimes they're absolutely fantastic and other times they really just don't want to be there well, that's how it seems anyway have you flown on any of the qatar flights that have been replacing some of the ba fleets in, in the last few weeks at all 
Unfortunately not, actually, because I was kind of hoping that, that that would happen. But speaking to a few people that have, they've actually said it's it's substantially better. There's more legroom. And they're interesting. They are actually doing catering in economy on them, mm. which I think is kind of a mistake for BA because it's confusing what's going on. And then people don't know next time, am I going to get it? Aren't I going to get it? So I think they should have really just stuck to what they're doing if that's the long term plan. Yeah. And let's see what happens with the rest of this crew business, because uh, I think if they have any more strikes this year, again, that's going to be very damaging for them, isn't it? I think it is, although it's not actually affecting passengers that greatly. Uh, There have been cancellations um, and aircraft swaps. But I think it's more the the negative PR because it just seems to be a constant stream of it against BA at the moment. Some of it warranted, but not all of it. I don't know if you saw the story recently about the cup of tea, which I just thought we're scraping to new levels here (laughs) in the Daily Mail when somebody having to pay extra for two tea bags is a is a headline news story. Yeah, it must have been. It's it's the silly season. It's it's August, so it's going to be a bit quiet, isn't it, in in the press? But nonetheless, I I think that was just a a, literally a step too far, wasn't it? That was my my favourite story. What about uh, alcohol? There's been a lot in the press in the last couple of weeks about uh, the whole alcohol business at the airport and on the aircraft. What's your opinion about it? I think it's actually a real shame that there's a small minority of people that abuse it uh, that are potentially going to spoil it for everyone else. So I do travel a lot in business uh, and sometimes first class. I like a nice glass of champagne on the plane, maybe a couple of glasses of wine. But it's the people that spoil it for everyone by uh, drinking too much. You know, they're there at 6am on the stag night drinking pints of beer. And somehow we need to control that element without spoiling it for everybody. I think a good example is I, I um, a few years ago, was behind somebody who was blatantly drunk, getting on an aircraft, was sort of almost staggering down the aisle. I spoke to the cabin crew and they did absolutely nothing about it. Gosh. And that's what worries me is that the people that work in the airports, at the bars, the, the cabin crew, the gate staff, don't tackle it early enough because um, they don't want to confront a passenger. And then that's what leads to the, the issues on board. And, you know, then you've got to divert a flight potentially, calling the police. It all gets very unpleasant very quickly i really don't know what the answer is i've thought about this very carefully over the last couple of months and uh, as i go to some of these regional airports occasionally quite early in the morning i am staggered by the amount of drink that's going on even before they get on the plane and it's it's the usual people all the time isn't it it is and i think the worry is if they try and control it how is that going to affect people that perhaps are going into the lounges you know, you might have a special occasion, perhaps you're going on a honeymoon, you go in the lounge, you want to have a Bucks visit breakfast time, but you're not someone who's going to, you know, start kicking off at 36,000 feet. We don't want to spoil the experience for those sort of people, but somehow we need to control the element that just take it too far. Right, let's talk about ultra-long-haul flying. Qantas are starting a service in March of next year uh, on the Dreamliner from Perth to London directly, not stopping off in Hong Kong, Singapore or uh, any of those uh, uh, places, Dubai, for example. What do you think about that kind of service? Would that appeal to you? Definitely not. I think it's just too long. I actually quite like long flights, rather unusually. About 12 hours on a long haul is perfect for me in business class, not economy. Um, you know, you've got time to get on, have your meal, watch a film, and then you can get a good sort of six or seven hours sleep before it's time to have another meal and get off feeling good. I find shorter flights, sort of seven or eight hours, you never really get enough sleep. Whereas I think when you're getting to sort of 16, 17 hours or longer, that's just a step too far i have done one not quite as long as that but i've done one to um new zealand um and australia that were maybe like 13 hours i think 
13 and a half from Doha to, I can't remember if it's Australia or New Zealand. And I also did one, unfortunately, where we diverted on the way to New Zealand. We diverted into Fiji that ended up being about 15 and a half hours. And it felt a very, very long time. So I can understand from probably an economical point of view, they want to do it. But personally, I quite like stopping off somewhere and, you know, going and seeing something different. Inevitably, we're going to end up with the the 22 or 23 hour flight as we get better aircraft performance in terms of engines and efficiency. So there will be one of these days flights from Melbourne and Sydney to London. That that's I think that's going to be unbearable. What, what do you think? I agree with you, definitely. Uh, it's interesting because uh, Qantas have actually been saying recently, very publicly, that they are looking at longer flights, but will the public actually want to do it? I think in economy, that would just be completely unbearable and not particularly healthy. You know, the risks of DVT from sitting in a seat for 22 hours or longer has uh, got to be increased. Uh, even in business class, I really would not want to do it, not unless they did something to improve the onboard experience that you could actually get up and and not be sitting for that amount of time. I wonder what the economy class fare would be from Perth to London, from Qantas, what do you think? I would expect it to be similar to a normal economy fare. I don't think there'll be a lot of difference. Unfortunately, Perth is not a huge amount of competition, so it tends to be very expensive. Whereas somewhere like Sydney, you've got competition from a lot of the Chinese carriers, so they tend to keep the prices a bit lower. So I, I think it'll be just the, the standard rate. I think there's definitely a bit of collusion that goes on between the airlines because they all seem to charge almost identical rates having been to Perth and struggled to get a decent fare. So what about the future of the passenger experience? What, what's the next thing that we're going to be offered do you think? Well I think there's a few things. It's, I think it's going to be very polarised even more than now between economy and business class. If you look at what they're doing in economy it's all about unbundling things, making the seats packed in tighter, going more abreast on the newer aircraft. Um, so I think as an economy passenger, you're probably going to continue to see low fares, but it's not going to be a pleasant experience. Whereas the opposite end, business class is getting better and better. I think we'll see probably the end of first class on a lot of airlines, or at least very limited first class. Um, if you look at Qatar and their new Q suites in business class, it's pretty much what you'd expect in first class. In fact, some might say it's even better than British Airways first class. You get your own suite with a door. So it will be very, very different um, for business and economy passengers, which is all the more reason to try and get a good deal and see if you can afford that business class flight after all. Um, the other thing I think will be important is technology. So there's a very interesting trial on Air France at the moment for virtual reality, um, where they've actually purchased a number of um, virtual reality headsets that they're using. I think it's to um, St. Martin in the Caribbean in business class. Um, it's a very innovative company that have developed them for onboard use because they're actually very lightweight. They weigh, I think, less than 200 grams. If you think about the future, how much does an in-flight entertainment box weigh? <laughs> And how much does it cost? Whereas I think that, you know, the VR glasses are getting cheaper and cheaper. So we could see that in the future as being on every aircraft, which would be interesting. They do look kind of stupid. <laughs> it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I hadn't thought about that. And, and the general, you know, the, the in-flight entertainment systems, as you say, there's a big weight penalty associated with them. And people are bringing their own devices now anyway. So this would be a really interesting step forward, I think. I think it, it will go probably one of two ways. It will either go something like the virtual reality, which I reckon will be at the premium end, potentially. I think at the um, economy end, they're more likely to do streaming. There's a couple of airlines that are already experimenting with you bring your own tablet and they supply the other content. 
but obviously you need good Wi-Fi and a lot of the airlines that jumped on board early their Wi-Fi is not good enough to actually support that whereas that's one thing you can say about British Airways because they've delayed it for so long they've actually got the latest technology and they will be capable of streaming things so it'll be interesting to see if they go down that route We'll have to see. Thanks ever so much indeed for talking to us today, Michelle. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Find this and other great shows at the Aviation Media Network. The Voices in Your Head.com. The Plain Talking UK podcast is a voluntary project that aims to keep you informed with the latest aviation-related stories from newswires across the globe. Producing our content does cost money, though. If you enjoy our show, why not help us keep on the air by making a donation towards the server and website hosting fees through PayPal? Any contributions would be greatly appreciated. Are you an Amazon user? If so, why not do your shopping through the link on our website? There's no cost to yourself, and Amazon pay us a small referral fee on qualifying purchases. To find out more about the show and to meet the team, take yourself to our website website www.plaintalkinguk.com or find us on facebook at facebook.com forward slash plaintalkinguk on twitter via at plaintalkinguk or get in touch via email on podcast at plaintalkinguk.com thanks, thanks for, for listening, listening. flyby 5823 trent dane for 23r manchester with air 6x client flight level 210 direct to Bretman's park United 123, maintain 280 knots. London 2DME, turn right onto Bravo, link 2-1, join Alpha, hold at Mora. Speedbird 472, LOC slash DME, approach runway 27 left. Follow the green stand 544. That's enough air traffic control for today, Nat. Bedtime. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to fly a commercial passenger jet? Looked up at the sky and thought, I wish that was me? Well, now anyone has the chance to have a go at flying in a real aircraft simulator. NP Simulations and Flight Experience London, the only official Boeing-licensed product of its kind in the UK, offer you the chance to fly anywhere in the world in their fixed-base Boeing 737-800 Flight Simulator. And that's not all. Ground School London offers many different courses for the up-and-coming pilot looking for a start in aviation. With prices starting at just £109, the sky's the limit. So for the ultimate flight simulator experience, or engaging preparatory courses, including those for schools and colleges, check out the websites at www.london.flightexperience.co.uk and www.groundschoollondon.com or call on 020 300 40 616. NP Simulations. Fly your dreams. Well, a big thanks to Nev, as always, for sending yeah, in his uh, segment for this week. Gosh, he did, he did not make her work hard. Two segments in one sitting. I mean, how mean. He's a slave yeah. driver, that <laughs> know, Neville Bones. He is, indeed. I, I, I'd imagine by now, Neville is quite well lubricated no. by No, he'll be a perfect gentleman. No, 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 no. He'll be a perfect gentleman at all times. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> indeed. And I do love that ad. Our yeah. NP ad is very good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is all right, isn't it? I do. Yes. I do like that one. Indeed. It's got funky tunes and everything. <laughs> I know. I know. Well done. Well done. <laughs> So, well, we are going to move on to uh, to the uh, last segment for the show, then. Our military segment, we haven't had one for a while, but uh, we like <laughs> yeah. to keep uh, Mr. Warner happy. We do, and, every now and again, yes. And the first story is <laughs> blinking interest. It is indeed, absolutely. Yeah. So if you're ready, we're going to start with some military news.
So the first news story then for this segment, it's on the popularmechanics.com website. And uh, I mean, I do Matt's, wonder where you go for these. Matt's got the there. video for this, but yes. the story is uh, the <laughs> yeah. headline is Russian bomber bungles takeoff and loses wing. So a Russian heavy bomber was badly damaged when it aborted its takeoff and ran out of runway before it came to a full stop. The Tu-22 M3 backfire bomber was taking part in a controversial military exercise that uh, had rattled Russia's neighbours. Uh, there was no reported injuries among the four-man crew. Uh, the Tu-22 M3 bomber, part of the Russian Air Force's 52nd Guards Heavy Bomber Aviation Regiment at Shayakolkva, Russia, was taking part in the Zapad West uh, 2017 military exercises, according to the website. A speed sensor on board the aircraft failed, and the crew decided to abort the takeoff. The crew slammed on the speed brakes and popped the parachute designed to slow the 200,000-pound bomber, but that wasn't enough to bring the Tu-22M3 to a halt, and it continued into a field at the far end of the runway, as those of you guys watching on YouTube can see in the video now. <laughs> and there oh, goes the wing. There goes yes. the wing. <laughs> oh, wow. And some soil and yes, stuff. Yes, a lot of mess. Yes. And a big bill. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. If, uh, if you take yourself over to something called Shayakokova in Google Maps, you can not only see where the plane landed, uh, well, technically where it didn't take off, but also <laughs> other Tu-23M3 sitting in uh, revments on the airfield. The Russian Air Force flies approximately 80 backfires of 1980-era aircraft inherited from the Soviet Union. The backfire was a major threat to U.S. Navy aircraft carriers during the Cold War. It was meant to carry two large KH-22 AS-4 kitchen anti-ship missiles and launched them in waves at U.S. naval task forces. Uh, little uh, like its contemporary and potential Cold War adversary, the Grumman F-4 Tomcat, the backfire was a swing-wing design that allows it to uh, sweep its wings back for speed or forward uh, for more efficient operation at lower speeds. The backfire could fly with wings forward as it neared enemy task forces with its load of missiles and sweep its wings back after launching them for a burst of speed. The crash tore off the bomber's right wing and caused unknown other damage. The landing gear is almost certainly wrecked as well. The bomber may be unrepairable, but it's not as big a deal as it sounds. The Soviet Union built 514 backfires in its heyday, and another 60 bombers are in storage that could be brought back into operational status. Well, I mean, you saw from the video there, that was... Um, that was quite a mess. Quite a mess, <laughs> yeah, I yeah. think. Uh, yeah, I think a speed sensor definitely did fail on, uh, on that particular flight. Uh, yeah. But uh, I would imagine uh, Mr. Warner is probably... Uh, he, he did actually say in the chat room, he'd already seen that one and was sort of quietly chortling to himself, I think, throughout. Actually, they're all asking article. Captain Nick in the chat room whether he's ever intercepted one of these. Because obviously Nick used to fly... Uh, for the right. Okay. Yes. So, uh, but I, I'm terrified almost to hear what the answer would be, but uh, 
There so moving go. on. Yes, indeed. To the yes, next so story. on to the next story. This is on a slightly unusual website. Bit of a posh one. It is indeed. Uh, it, is on, it is on the Oxford it's a bit Royal Mail. It's the Oxford Mail. <laughs> and the reason behind it is because Princess Anne makes visits to RAF Bryce Norton to celebrate 100 years of 99 Squadron. An RAF squadron that never sleeps celebrated its centenary with a visit from Princess Anne. Airmen and women, officers and veterans came together at the RAF Bryce Norton this morning to celebrate 100 years since the formulation of 99 Squadron. The squadron took part in the bombing raids during the First and Second World Wars but remains just as relevant today, recently providing vital support in the Caribbean following the devastation of Hurricane Irma. Officer Commanding Wing Commander Mark Holland said that 99 Squadron operates the C-17 Globemaster. Its role is long-range heavy lifting capability for the RAF and it operates 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. We support every major defence exercise and operation and hold short notice aeromedical evacuation cover. It's a great privilege to commend any squadron, but a a particular honour to commend 99 Squadron on its 100th year. The visit from the Princess Royal gives the event the gravitas it deserves. It's good for those in the squadron to feel that recognition for their hard-earned efforts and uh, the squadron doesn't sleep. The Princess, the Princess Royal, arrived at the base and inspected the squadron before speaking about its significant contribution to Britain's armed forces over the past century. Uh, She said that she was delighted to help celebrate the centenary, adding 99 Squadron has a reputation for always achieving what is asked of it, despite great adversity. The Princess said that she hoped the Squadron would continue serving on the front line of military operations for another 100 years. 99 Squadron was formed in Wiltshire on August 15th, 1917, preceding the formation of the Royal Air Force by several months, and immediately began working up to becoming a bomber squadron. It served in bombing raids during both world wars but its role has changed substantially over the years. Now 99 Squadron transports service people vehicles and freight all over the world to support British forces. Uh, Wing Commander Holland said that while the squadron's role has changed its focus on long range missions has remained the same. It also provides humanitarian support in response to natural disasters most recently helping with the British response to the Caribbean after Hurricane Irma wreaked havoc on the British Virgin Islands. Air Loadmaster Peter Wicks, who serves in the squadron, said of the recent response, part of the squadron was put on high alert uh, and there was a concerted effort to, on behalf of the whole station, to get what people needed out to the British territories. It just proves that no matter the, what is going on, the squadron is always working. A very nice story there. Yeah, it's one of those um, particular sites I'd love to visit, uh, Bryce Norton. Norton. Never yeah. had the chance to go no. there, but I'd really love to go there. Obviously, Mark, you've been there. So you know, <laughs> well, you yes. know all about the place. Yeah, it's uh, impressive seeing all of those uh, large cargo planes on the uh, on the pan there, uh, all parked up. Yeah, I bet. I bet it's one of the, it's it's, uh, it's one of those things. I mean, any mil- any working military base is always a, a fascinating. Mister Warner's dream. I think well, that, that that is true. <laughs> so we'll move on to the last story, and we'll put that in your capable hands, if we may, please, Mark. Yep, certainly. It's the bbc.co.uk website and the USAF move out of Mildenhall delayed by two years. Oh, very good news. <laughs> the relocation of an American airbase out of the UK has been delayed by two years, the United States Air Force has said. 
The 103 fueling wing at Royal Air Force Mildenhall, Suffolk, is due to move to Ramstein Air Base in Germany. The USAF has said the relocation has been stalled due to continuing discussions between officials from the United States and Germany. The move is part of a program to save £320 million, or $500 million a year, across Europe. Master Sergeant Alex Griffin, a spokesman for the USAF, said the process of moving personnel and assets from RAF Mildenhall to bases in Germany has been delayed by 24 months because of discussions between the United States and Germany pertaining to program management, procedures and responsibilities. The USAF is also due to leave RAF Alconbury and RAF Molesworth in Cambridgeshire. The moves have been delayed until to 2024, the USA, USAF have said. RAF Mildenhall is used as a transport hub by the United States Air Force and is home to the KC-135 tanker fleet and Special Operations Forces. It has about 3,200 military personnel with four to 500 UK civilian staff employed there. West Suffolk MP Matthew Hancock said the delay would give more time for the area to prepare for the Americans' departure. We in West Suffolk are proud to host the United States Air Force, who do such important work in defending our shared values and interests, he said. This delay will give yet more time to prepare for any US departure, and we must prepare for all eventualities. RAF Alconbury and RAF Molesworth are used as USAF communications bases rather than for flying. Their operations are moving to RAF Crowton in Northamptonshire. It's. I'm, I must admit, I've just put the picture up, as you can probably see if you're watching on YouTube. That, oh, the Osprey. Um, that I, I love. I love the Osprey. You that is like the, the Osprey, most yeah. uh, one of the most amazing. I, I still. I don't think. I'm still not sure. I, technically, I suppose it is a helicopter. So perhaps I should be <laughs> less interested in it. But uh, it is a stunning piece of technology. Milden, Mildenhall is is such a huge part of uh, of uh, Suffolk. It is. Um, yeah. You know, it, it would be. A massive loss to the community, I think, if if they did move the ball, if they when they do move, eventually do move out of there, because it, yeah. I, I'd imagine it, it does bring quite a lot of trade as such to to the general area, yeah. and also not forgetting as well, Mildenhall has uh, quite uh, quite a long runway as well. Yeah, just talking to Nick in the chat room because Mildenhall does have um, a runway length of uh, nine thousand two hundred nineteen feet. Wow! So it'll be interesting to see what happens with Mildenhall eventually once that mm. does close down. Do you down. think they might turn it into a civil a civil it, airport? It, or it, there's been talks about that for so many years now really? as to what would happen to Mildenhall once it closes, and yeah. I, I think it would be a bit of a shame mm. if something didn't continue there mm. to do with aviation see, see i've got a fellow fan i've got a fellow fan jen niffer she loves the offspray too she was saying that she loves she said there's a hybrid saw them fly into my airport a couple of months ago so cool love the osprey i completely agree uh ladies and gents i'm afraid it is time to wrap up the show have we got anything else left of the show notes before i get told off we have <laughs> certainly yeah so uh for those of you who listen to the airline pilot guys show which we, is we've got, everyone which is everyone Surely. in the yes. world, <laughs> including my mum? Yeah, is uh, yeah. is well. We've got actually one of the hosts in the chat room. Captain we do indeed. Nick it's a legend the that room. is Sir Captain of Nick. Yeah. So yes. apparently, according to uh, to uh, Mr. Nick, there, Captain mm. Nick, we've there's a f- uh, meet up going ahead 
uh, and uh, there's an APG meetup uh, that's going ahead at Goodwood Aerodrome. Yes, and we're hoping to make it ourselves. And yeah. the meetup is going to be on the 29th of October yep. at 2 p.m. Yep. That's 1400 hours if you want to be posh. Mm. So that's on Sunday, the 29th of October. And yep. uh, I mean, for me and Matt, that's about a three and a half hour drive. That's but fine. We don't care. We don't care. It's uh, worth it just to go and grab a beer with. Captain I know. Nick, we're frankly, we're going to yeah. try and uh, make it uh, make it to that meetup. So. And yep. uh, it's being organised by Reuben Wells, yep. and his details are available through APG on Facebook and Twitter and yep. Slack Slack-y. as well. Okay. So if you want to check out on there, the details are on yep. there. And uh, hopefully uh, some of our listeners in the UK mm. uh, can make it down to Goodwood, yep. to the aerodrome there, and we're going to have a good old fashion knees are. up knees up absolutely so yeah. just before we bring the show to a oh, close then i've Nick's got, got one, a question yeah no i've got one oh, more question that i that uh, that uh, mark We're Nick has asked. On this is one especially for you mark uh <laughs> now i don't know if you are giving away company secrets by by answering this one so we won't be at all offended if you can't but the legend that is captain nick is asking could you please ask matt mark what is your preferred shutter speed uh, for getting the propeller shot um so what's your preferred shutter speed for prop aircraft or helicopters uh, I did actually see his uh, question in the chat room. I was trying to reply to it, but uh, um, talking made it impossible to type at the same time. No, that's fair enough. Yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> um, I tend to use uh, 250th of a second uh, to start with for propeller planes to yeah. try and get at least a shot of the plane that's going to be relatively sharp with a little bit of blur in the propeller. Uh, and then I will uh, reduce the shutter speed. Um, as much as I can, uh, down to 125th or down to a 60th, if I can, uh, to try and get more blur in the uh, prop and hopefully even a full disc. Um, wow. um, but you're more, more, more and more likely to get uh, camera shake at those speeds. So that's where having the digital files is so much an advantage. You can take lots and lots of photos of course, and throw yeah. away the uh, ones with the blur and keep the ones that are sharp. That is uh, helicopters are far more difficult um, because the rotors have a slower speed. So you're starting at probably 125th of a second to get any motion blur in the uh, rotors at all. Uh, so you have to be hand-holding fairly steadily. Yes, indeed. In fact, actually, Nick uh, um, just said that in the chat room. He said, steady hands with a long lens. Much respect, Mark. So there you uh, are. see that. Um, Praise indeed. Yeah. That, yeah, and also uh, image stabilisation on the lens does help. Mm-hmm. I've got yeah. times two. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. On my, absolutely. On my Sigma lens. And yeah. uh, also, actually, Jonathan Warner is saying here also depends on prop speed, i.e., turbo props on or pistons. Turbo props spin much faster, uh, so you can get away with a bit higher shutter speed. Uh, so it's. Uh, God, I'll tell you what. Maybe we should stop doing aviation-related <laughs> ones, and we should do uh, we should do photography-based uh, ones because there's some great um, there's some great detail coming out in the chat room here. We perhaps we should print this off, but I'm afraid. Well, we'll, we'll just get Mark and Jonathan Warner and, yeah, yeah. and Dan to do their own do their own podcast. podcast. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll come and do the engineering. It'll <laughs> yeah. be fine. I'll tie them all together. It'll be fine. But uh, uh, guys, it is where we've got to wrap the show up. I'm afraid because otherwise we're going to be nearly as long as APG was earlier. <laughs> so it is time to uh, bring the show to a close. Mark, you, Mark, thank you so very very much for uh, joining yeah. us tonight. Give us another uh, uh, a quick plug of your marvelous website, please. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. It's been a real blast. I really enjoyed it. My website is at leadingedgephotography.co.uk. 
and I'm on Twitter as at Leading Edge Picks, P-I-C-S. Um, and I'm on Facebook as facebook.com forward slash Leading Edge Photography. Fantastic. And if you haven't done so already, as I say, on his website, he's got a great function that is uh, known as the monthly wallpaper. And the October monthly wallpaper is looking absolutely stunning. It's of a nice. I was going to say, can you What's get a the helicopter? Is that a Eurocopter? <laughs> is that a Eurocopter? <laughs> no, that's a gazelle, that one. Oh, it's in the gazelle. That's a gazelle, right. yeah. yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's the gazelle. After I'd spoken to the uh, gazelle squadron at Bryce Norton, I thought it appropriate, especially as I knew I was going to be coming on here, yep. uh, to put up a gazelle as it arrived into Coldrose a couple of years ago. Fantastic. Uh, if you want to get in touch with our show, obviously you can do it by the usual means. It is www.plaintalkinguk.com. It's facebook.com forward slash plaintalkinguk uh, for um, your Facebook. And our Twitter handle is at Plain Talking UK. Please, 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 we do love to get your audio feedback. Yes, so we do. please send it to us with, uh, to at podcast at plaintalkinguk. Oh, and a t shirt. That is podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. Uh, yeah, it, don't forget our t shirts are still available. They if you'd are, like to get your so. hands on a t shirt, they're great quality. Anybody who's got them will be able to vouch for the quality of these t shirts. They're quality Fruit of the Loom t shirts with an embroidered logo on the front and then a screen print on the back. If you haven't got one already, take yourselves to plaintalking.com forward slash store and plain that's where plaintalkinguk.com <laughs> forward slash store I'm very tired he's very tired <laughs> bless him I'm flagging and also in case, just in case anyone has been hiding as Matt would say under a rock for the last um, year yes. um, don't forget there are still uh, what was it four places left is it three or yeah, four absolutely. Three they're or going four, very fast yeah, yeah. three or four places left for uh, our, our 200 show our big, uh, big, in big. January that's on the 20th of January next Next year, if you want to be there, get your name sent in to us via the email, and uh, you too can well come fly join us. Boeing seven three seven eight hundred, yeah, absolutely on our fixed wing simulator yeah, day at yeah, MP, MP simulations. simulations, which coincides with our two hundredth episode. Yeah, uh, on the subject of of special events, let's not forget, of course, that uh, APG three hundred is coming. Ooh, <laughs> oh, I have to add an effect that oh, just we, so. we... APG. 300 is coming. <laughs> and that's where we bring episode 184 to a close uh, from all of us here in the studio. Say goodbye, Mark. Goodbye, and thank you. Uh, absolute pleasure. And from all of us here in the studio, it is time weekend, to say everyone. goodbye. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Woo-hoo.